Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. It's a new, completely unnecessary podcast for Tuesday, May 24th, 2016, and the duck hunt dog already fell off Ian's laptop. My name is Pat Contry. I'm alongside Ian Ferguson. Howdy. And we have a, a nice podcast for you. The latest and greatest in the retro gaming news and modern gaming news and movie news and YouTube news and Ghostbusters news and lots of good stuff going on uh, on the podcast. Today we'll be discussing uh, a new NES ROM found and dumped. Talking about Capcom prioritizing completeness in their games. That's just funny. <laughs> yeah, that's 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 a headline. Nintendo might be getting into movies. Uh, we're talking about Double Dribble YouTube uh, video being featured on Family Guide. Uh, we'll be talking about uh, jail sentence for YouTube pranksters. Warner Brothers Fallout with Batman v Superman. And what Jack a surprise! Snyder. And your Q and A. But first, we have sponsors to help pay the bills. This one's from Embraceware. Hey guys, Jerry here from Embraceware. We have a new game coming soon, which is named Wee Man Sniper. If you'd like to be notified when the game is released, enter your email address at weeman.com. It'll be available on iOS, Android, Mac, and PC. As always, you can get a sneak peek of what we're working on by checking us out on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. We're at slash Embraceware on each. New to the web, but not new to the game. Geekmixology.com is an up-and-coming place where vodka meets video games. At Geek Mixology, you will find creative cocktails made by experienced mixologists and diehard gamers. We are not only fans of the retro community, but contributors as well. Please stop by our little spot on the web and stay tuned for new videos, drink recipes, and upcoming events. We at Geek Mixology are huge fans of this CU podcast. Thank you, Geek Mixology. And a new sponsor we have, ArcadeWorks. ArcadeWorks is the maker of the Omega Entertainment Machine, hands down the best way to play Neo Geo arcade games from the comfort of your own couch. Sporting a design inspired by the legendary home system, the Omega utilizes the low-cost MVS cartridge format to finally put Neo Geo gaming within financial reach. Each Omega ships with the latest UniBios, and the optional virtual memory card upgrade lets players save their progress and high scores. Get yours today at arcadeworks.net. Use our use coupon code Omega now for ten dollars off the purchase of an Omega Entertainment Machine. Thanks, ArcadeWorks. So I came back from a trip to Scandinavia, Norway to be specific. I went there for Retro Spill Messen, which is literally like retro gaming convention. So you know, it sounds original in Norwegian since we don't know the language. I think uh, it, it was fun. It, it was. Um, it was. I uh, had a panel. Um, you, you were. You're trying to like make less noise by doing that, but it reminds me of someone in the movie theater eating the popcorn slowly, and it's like you can like focus in like Spider Man on the sense of it. Anyway, um, so <laughs> so it was cool meeting uh, Norwegian fans and people from Sweden. I did not realize that Norway and Sweden have this rivalry. 
Mm. They, they like hate each other. It's, it's really it's really funny because ethnically they're like very similar, if not the same, but they, they're different <laughs> attitudes. Okay, from what from what it sounds like, according to Norwegians, Nor- Norwegians are like the more blue collar, more like down to earth folks, and the Swedish are like the uh, yuppie hipsters. From what uh, it sounds like, that's like the dichotomy, or or more hippie ish, I should say, versus hipster. Gotcha. Um, th- so that was interesting. So I was there with uh, Breno Floss. Uh, Billy and Jay, the lovable game chasers, along with Melvor, uh, the cameraman, and a third wheel that you always forget about, or some people. Forget I about. never forget about Melvor. <laughs> well, he doesn't come to a lot of the conventions, so, but he's 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 a welcome sort of, uh, you know, he he reigns him in a little bit. Billy and Jay reigns him in, uh, and then also uh, Gerard, uh, completionist. So it was great. Um, had a panel. We had an all-star panel on the Saturday night. It was fun. Lots of good moments with that. And then I sang Nintendo Human Rhapsody on stage with Brent as well. We went to Oslo on Monday, saw the Viking ship remains. It's like the only Norwegian Viking ships. So we went across the fjord in Oslo and uh, saw the four uh, remains of, of the the ship hulls that they have there. And they had like this ornate cart, like a, like a big cart, something out of like Lord of the Rings, like very well done, like wood crafting work. And it was mostly intact. It was amazing. That would have been incredible for me. To I, I would have loved that. Yeah, I'll show you the pictures. And even like the little boots, the cute little leather boots were intact, and they had a, like cauldrons, and then they had, they weren't, uh, they weren't like military axes or you know weapons. They were like just axes for cutting meat, but they were intact. Nice. It was amazing. It was definitely worth it. Then the seventeenth uh, was Norway Day, their Constitution Day. So all the men get, uh, women get dressed up in like traditional Norwegian garb, and you know they're very like you know patriotic, and all the kids from the schools come down. They're all. They march all the, all the school kids from the region. It was cool, and Norwegian people were super nice, not fake nice. They were genuinely nice, nice people. And since most most people sp- uh, spoke English, it was it was a, uh, you know, it was a, uh, it was easy to get around. You felt acclimated. And um, the one thing though I was disappointed was is that there's no like um, there's no like regional Norwegian food. I was gonna ask about that because whenever I go someplace new, that's the first thing I want to do is eat regional food. They don't have it, like huh. which they even said by their own admission. So they're very, uh, they're very like westernized in terms of what they have. So within like a four block radius of the hotel, there was like three sushi places. <laughs> there was a McDonald's, which is like three times the cost of our food, and a couple of actually pretty good pizza places. Like, so what it sounds as like is like they they're into like westerns food, and it sounds like one of the most popular food items in all of Norway is like a cheap. Like frozen pizza, it sounds like Elio style pizza, and they're, <laughs> and they're known for this cheap pizza. But I asked them, like, what's your like regional food? Or like, obviously they used to be big into fishing, not so much anymore. So obviously fish, but the only the only, the only place I ever ate fish while I was there was like at my complimentary a complimentary breakfast at the hotel, which was delicious. They had lox, they had mackerel. I'm not sure it came from there, but that's what I ate. But they're known in the, in the western part of Norway, the countryside, for like sheep's head. That they like cut, they split in half, and you like grill it, and you eat like the eyes, and you eat the cheek muscle, and hmm. that's what they're known for. Not that I was ever going to try that. I'm open to new foods. I wasn't going to do that, but that's literally all they said. That I would eat percentages of it, but not of eyes. the cheek. Yeah, yeah, I'd eat the cheek. Sure, you wouldn't go brain. Um, and so, and then the other thing they're known for is brown cheese. They have this cheese that's like, it's not really. You're not really supposed to eat it like with a sandwich. It's almost like caramelized partially, so it's like sweeter. Oh, I don't want to say it's a it's a cheese dessert, but it was good. I had it at, at the complimentary buffet. Um, it was good. It was like thicker, and yes, it was like 
I guess you could eat it on a sandwich, but people don't usually do that. I guess they, they just eat it as a spread or something. But anyway, that was my uh, Norway trip. And thanks to Retrospill Messin for having me out. And I bought about 10 exclusive PAL NES games. So I might go for the full set because I don't need another thing to collect new, but why not, right? Uh, so <laughs> no, I don't know that you need anything new to collect. <laughs> so, so I might do that. Um, other than that, though, it was fun. I bought an NES... Uh, rental case uh, system rental case which we didn't have in the US there was no rental places didn't rent out the NES but apparently there they did uh, so that was good and so I barely fit everything coming back uh, home uh, in my in my case so what about you Ian what have you been up to it, you know, I, the thing is, is every time this question comes up, I don't, I don't have a good answer for it. It feels like it feels like I just zap from 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 podcast to podcast, and everything in between is is uh, I don't know, just air. Um, I did go to my first baseball game though in probably mm, five years um, over the weekend. Um, buddy, my buddy Quan came down from LA, and a bunch of us got together, and we went uh, to the Padres Dodgers game on Sunday. And uh, I used to go to baseball games all the time. I, I adore going to baseball games. But this one, uh, this one was 17 innings of, uh, of like, just absolute horseshit baseball. And it was a very, it was a very uh, difficult thing. Baseball's rough. You have to really love baseball to see it live. Even to watch it on TV, I feel you have to really like the teams or like the game. Like, Frank can watch any old game that comes up. And I always criticize him. Like, I'll be over and there'll be, like, an important, you know, basketball playoff game. Or, or you know, uh, hockey, and he'll watch some random like Mariners versus Boston, and it's like it's game thirty four of the season means absolutely nothing. <laughs> nothing. People are gonna forget about it in two days, and it's like, well, it's a nice game. It's like no, but there are people that are diehards. But the you know, uh, I, yeah, baseball is like a you look like a picnic. And whatever happens on the field happens on the field. It's just like secondary, right? I, I mean, I, I I do enjoy baseball live um, on TV. I have a tough time watching it, but it's like I, I I joke. I have twelve innings of baseball in me. Twelve innings of baseball I can do. Uh, Seventeen, that's a lot. If you're not reopening the concessions, uh, I mean, I, I I need to get the shit out of there. But they, we stayed. They close concessions. Well, yeah, they close concessions regardless. I think seventh inning. I mean, just for beer, I think they do. For well, everything they did? Well, maybe at ninth inning they closed concessions for everything and started packing it up. Oh, Jesus. But, uh, yeah, it was, uh, <laughs> it was, it was a little rough. Uh, they tied everything up in the eighth and then it went to the 17th with nothing. 5 5, and then the Dodgers went ahead four runs. So, that, that, that's, that, you know, that's my big thing right now that uh, I did recently. Other than that, the book's still not finished. God willing, it's going to be finished by the time you hear this, though, because at this point it's killing me. It's killing me. Um, a new NES Punk video. I started editing it today on the 24th. It will come out, God willing, by the end of May. And then... End of May? Oh, okay. End of May. Why, is that too soon, Ian? No. I know I I hate editing, but even I can probably do it. As (laughs) long as the book gets done, and I I should have five days to edit it, I can do that. Um, real quick. So, when I came back from Norway, I'm literally, like, going through customs, and, um, I, I get a... I get a text from Dane Anderson at Nintendo Age, the guy who runs Nintendo Age, my favorite website. <laughs> and we had a lively conversation, you could say. So it turns out while I was in Norway, after we posted the uh, the video about Tim Atwork getting banned, um, a bunch of trolls went over to the, the Nintendo Age forums and started like screwing around there. And it sounds like, according to uh, Dane, unfortunately, and I do not condone this, someone tried hacking NintendoAge.com. 
Um, let's let's be a little bit better than that. Oh yeah, well, I, obviously it's a shit thing to do. You don't want to try to hack a website. You know, that's regardless of who gets banned or if moderators are acting like assholes. You don't want to do that because in the, the day, I like Dane. He runs the site. He doesn't make money off it really. And it's just a bunch of bullshit he has to, you know, go through if people try to hack this. Well, there's some shitty people there, but there's plenty of people who are just there to hang out. And, I mean, it's not like the entire website's a fucking cesspool. No. No, the entire website's not a cesspool, no. Not at all. But, no, you shouldn't hack. You shouldn't try to hack any website, you know. Trolling, hey, you know, that's that's less harmful, but you shouldn't try to troll either, I, I suppose. But, but at least that's not going to cause any monetary or, or structural damage to a website. But you shouldn't do that either. But the, the point is this, is that <laughs> there was a post about us covering uh, the Tim Atwood news. I didn't read it because what the fuck's the point of reading a, a, a toxic thread that people are going to attack me and physically threaten me like they do in the past. But it was over 800 posts long. <laughs> and then it got shut down. <laughs> then it yeah. got shut down. That's like Coleco Chameleon levels of probably doing that like in a couple of days before I got uh, shut down. Um, gracefully. Someone told me about it, and I never, I never bothered to check into it. I'm, I'm sure they found neat things to say about me too. But uh, uh, well, you're secondary when it comes to Nintendo age. I, <laughs> you know, I think all the ire is directed at me. But I think one of the main problems was uh, we didn't have all our facts straight. Uh, apparently, because Tim Atwood was not uh, banned, he was, I guess, suspended for a couple of weeks. I'm not sure how I was supposed to know about when that. When it says banned on the picture. Yes, when you click on any of the, the forum posts with Tim's post, it says banned in red letters diagonally. So I didn't know that at the time we recorded. And hell, Tim didn't know about it. I don't think Tim was even informed uh, about it at the time. So it turns out that, like, people are trying to... I think some of the mods are trying to cover their tracks, but I think some of them are, are in trouble due to their, their really weird activity over there. And I, I, not that there there had to be a come to Jesus meeting at Nintendo Age, but if it takes a a, a post by us that maybe was one hundred percent accurate, not not our fault, and an eight hundred post thread about how shitty I am to to maybe make some change happen, I don't care because I don't care when anyone posts when anyone posts about me at Nintendo Age, I don't care. At some point, you get over it. And there's only so many times you can have someone threaten to kick you in the balls or punch you in the face when they see you that it doesn't matter anymore. Because I don't think it's going to happen. No. And if it does, I'll just wear a cup, and it'll be fine. <laughs> just wear a cup just to all the conventions. I'll just wear a cup to all the conventions. All right, let's get into the meat proper of this podcast <laughs> here. Let's let's get into the sheep head. Yes. So, I, I'm not I, I'm not going to... I'm going to try not to spend a whole lot of time uh, discussing this, mainly because Pat hasn't had a chance to play it, but <laughs> I, I, I very much want to touch on uh, the new Doom that came out um, for PlayStation 4, Xbox One, and uh, PC um, this past week. Um, mainly for a couple of reasons. Um, the game was not being looked forward to by, I think, the majority of, of game players out there. Uh, this is partially because, uh, one, the game was in development hell forever. Uh, the game got caught up in the uh, Bethesda buyout of id Software. Uh, the game's focus had changed a couple times. People left id, etc., etc. And it was one of those games that was starting to look almost like a, I mean, not quite as bad, but a Duke, a Duke Nukem Forever thing where, you know, what is this going to be and what's it going to turn out like? The other thing is, is Doom, I think, has always been considered a single-player first-person shooter. Now, granted, when it came out, the online... Uh, the the online play was 
interesting. It was fun. It was some of the first times you could really do some some land and stuff like that. It was I great. Back yeah, I did it too, uh-huh. and it was awesome. But th- though that death match style was quickly superseded by by uh, ids following releases such as Quake and games like Unreal Tournament. They those games perfected it. I think people started to look at Doom as the go-to shooter for a single-player campaign. What Doom did, unfortunately, um, with with their with their beta was uh, they focused on the multiplayer, which got panned because it was seen as by people who play new school shooters, it was seen as too much of an old school arena shooter. And by people who were, um, you know, old school players, they saw it as uh, giving into, you know, kind of demands of the modern shooter with weapon loadouts and things like that. It was almost universally hated. So you've got development hell going into this, and you have um, a, a bad couple runs with the multiplayer beta. No one's touched the single-player campaign. The game comes out, every single person I know is like, we're waiting for a sale on this one. I, along with, I mean, a, a good handful of other people decide, what the fuck, we're going to grab this and give it a go. And, uh, yeah, what we got was something I don't think I've seen in a decade or more, and that's a first-person shooter that gives you a single-player campaign of, like, 10 hours at least. Um it plays unlike any first-person shooter that I've played in the past 10 years. Um, so it's old school. It's fast. There, fast. There is no run in Doom because you are running at all points in time. The gliding, the strafing, everything in it feels like it did in Doom 1 and Doom 2. Just smooth the, and fast. The game is fast. It's visceral. You don't reload your weapons. It's like Doom. You have an ammo count, and you just fire until you're out of ammo. These little old-school concessions make it feel, oddly, very fresh. Um, people were concerned about the addition of something called a glory kill, which is an up-close melee finisher attack, basically. Um, what happens is you do enough damage to a car- uh, an enemy, and they'll glow blue. You get close enough to them, they glow orange, and you press a button, and you'll do a quick fatality depending on the angle. What's interesting is how this plays into um, the game in that when you do glory kills, you get instant um, health drops. So in a game that is brutally hard, you have to make these decisions. Are you going to pick off the demons from afar or are you going to try to move in and risk taking more damage to get the health back that you need? There is no cover in this game. If you stay put for more than five minutes or five minutes, five seconds, you're going to get swarmed. You're going to get destroyed. It's constant bob and weave. The rhythm to this game is exceptional. Um, On top of that, they do kind of work a story narrative in, which has never been the best part of, which has never been the main focus of Doom. But what's great is it's there for the people who care, and for the people who don't care, it's very tongue in cheek. When people are talking to you on comm screens, the Marine will break the comm screen or push it out of the way, and you get to decide whether or not you stick around and listen to the rest of the story, or just play the fucking game, which is get to the exit like it always has been. Um, so it's. By 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 going back to what made the original game great, um, with a good amount of fan service, I mean, every time you see a classic enemy, from a pinky to a cacodemon, I mean, if you were ever a Doom fan, it's it's kind of a joyous thing. Um, I've been enjoying it more than, I mean, most games I've purchased in years. And it's 
it is one of those instances where I think companies really need to be careful how they show their games before they're released. Because on top of all that, Bethesda said they weren't sending out review copies. And now the game's getting fantastic reviews. But you know what? If your game's main focus is going to be a single-player campaign, don't demo your tacked-on multiplayer as as the main thing. Give people a level demo. Send out review copies of it. They said they weren't sending out review copies because multiplayer and the map maker, which shares levels, were going to be uh, integral to the game. You know what? They're not. They're cool. The campaign mode is integral to the game. Anyone could have played that with a review copy. So they really risked damaging their sales quite a bit. Luckily, word of mouth got around very quickly that it was worth trying out. I think we also forgot about how not poorly received, but how underwhelming Doom Three was. Sure, it was a it, horror game, not not a yeah, not a run and shooter. Yeah, and I played Doom Three. I remember if, I don't know if I bought it or just downloaded. I think I bought it. Or someone gave me their copy back in, what was that, 2005, whenever it was that it came out? It's been uh, 13 years, so 2003, it's been 13 years wow. since a Doom game. All I remember is from Doom 3 is that I not even played half, and I just was done with it. Because it was such a departure from the previous uh, Doom. It was Doom slow. Game. It was slow. There weren't a lot of wide-open areas. It was like, oh, you walk through hallways and shoot one or two demons at a time, and... You have a flashlight. It's like that's not Doom. Now, see, that's the great thing about yeah. Doom is like there's all of these battles take place. Like all of the main battle segments yeah. are in very big arena you areas. 20, Lots of jumping. Twenty monsters coming at you at once, and that's, that's what you get. Like Doom Two, the you, people forget Doom Two was nuts. You'd walk into these areas, you'd have like forty monsters coming after you at once. I remember it was other, moving. Yeah, like suburbs or tenen- tenements. Uh, one of my two favorite levels in Doom Two. There's one spot where it opens a monster garage, and literally like thirty imps yeah. pour out. And honestly, that. it's not that difficult, but it's just fun to sit there with a the shotgun and pick them off. And literally, I mean, you're sitting there for like six minutes taking them down. I yeah. mean, that's what Doom is about. So it's it's nice to see a return to that form. Sure. So I'm looking at some of the Metacritic scores. 10 out of 10. 100 out of 100 from Giant Bomb. Wow. Is, is it that perfect? or is It is. The campaign mode is that perfect to the point where the weaknesses of multiplayer are something oh, yeah. you forget about because it's not the fucking point but of yeah, the game. Yeah, Doom was never about multiplayer. No. You know, uh, like I said, I think I played multiplayer on Doom 1 or 2, I think I played it. And back then, you remember, the original Doom games weren't 3D. It was fake 3D. So it's like, you got a shot at someone if you were lined up. It would auto-aim the rockets and try to go at them, but you can dodge them easily. So it wasn't like a multiplayer game, really. No. Like, that's not what it was about. Well, and, and also the levels still required you to get key cards, and yes. some levels were better for multiplayer than others. Even in its original iteration, while it was fun to mess with, multiplayer was not the focus. It's still not the focus. So it's just it's the same original Doom health packs and and potions for no health. regenerating health. Thank God. There's armor, no regenerating health, uh, scarce ammo. That's the other thing. The chainsaws back in it, but it's limited by fuel. You can I hold like it, that. You can hold up to three fuel, and the reason is is much like the glory kills give you health. If you're low on ammo, but you've managed to hold on to some chainsaw stuff, a the chainsaw will take out most enemies with one attack, but it creates an insane number of. Um, ammo drops. So there's a lot of strategy to the speed of the game as well. Alright, well, I'll have to check it out sometime. I mean, you'll absolutely love it. I'm a big Doom fan. So, in other exciting news, um... (laughs) (laughs) 
Oh boy! So we've found. Uh, we found it. We found it. Pat and I found it uh, <laughs> ourselves. Um, a new NES ROM has been found and dumped. A new and, old NES. ROM. Yes. And uh, what's fantastic about it is this one is uh, basically a 100% complete game that was just never released. So this is based on the uh, film Happily Ever After, which was done by Filmation as part of their new classic series. Now, if you don't remember these, I'm, I don't, I'm not surprised. I barely do. This, I remember this one. I do not remember the Pinocchio one. Um, Filmation, or is it Filmation? I believe yes. it's Filmation. Uh, was responsible for uh, a handful of Saturday morning cartoons, including He-Man. Um, they... Um, decided that they were going to try to cash in on the popularity of some of uh, these uh, fairy tale licenses, which have been public domain for a long time. They were going to do yeah. a Pinocchio sequel and a Snow White sequel. Yeah, people remember that, like Disney doing all these tales. These are like Grimm Brothers tales and collected fairy tales from Europe from like hundreds of years ago. So Disney doesn't own the rights to Snow White or Peter Pan. Or even Lion King. These are all just, they just put out these properties th- that makes you think that they came up with them, but they didn't. Because they ace them. But yeah, yeah, but you know, it, it's not theirs. So technically this was okay for, for, for Filmation to do. So they created a movie studio to put these out. Now jumping more to the point here, um, of course... With any film property, especially during the NES era, it's likely to get a game. Um, so, happily ever after, uh, the Snow White uh, sequel, where uh, she was going to meet seven uh, female dwarves, uh, was uh, ripe pickings for a potential game translation, especially because video games were starting to be uh, recognized as being played more by women at this point. And it seemed like a, a, a good entry point and basically a, a solid hit just based on the property. Um, the game was set to coincide with the release of the film. Problematically, the publishing of the film was notoriously wrought with uh, pitfalls. And while it released in France around the original window of re- uh, the, that they wanted to release in the U.S., it did not release in the U.S. until I believe three years later. Um, the movie got panned, uh, supposedly the level of animation, uh, quality was barely better than Hanna-Barbera cartoons, I think the one article says, I I, like I said, I vaguely remember this, my friend's sister was, like, huge into it just, just because, and, uh, the game got axed, there was, and it was never known, so, so it was Sofell that was, that was doing it, right, Sofell who did, um, Games like uh, Wall Street Kid that I might have reviewed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think they did Casino Kid 1 and 2. I don't think they did the development of both, but they published both of them. And Dragon Fighter on NES, Clash Ball. So we're not talking about the, the most famous NES publisher, but these aren't bad games. Right. They're competent games, if not the most enjoyable. I mean, say what you will about Wall Street Kid, it's, it's unique at least. Sure. So this was reported by NintendoPlayer.com. And it was courtesy the release. Uh, this, I guess, prototype collector or, uh, named Sean McGee found this, um, and I guess he's into this scene. And the the author of the article, which I do not have in front of me, comments about, about knowing Sean McGee. Oh, the beautiful thing about this release is uh, Sean McGee did not try to get any money for it. Sean yes, McGee simply holding, wanted to dump, he, wanted to dump it for preservation. Yeah, so the comment from the author of this article, which is important to me, um. 
Having followed Nintendo prototype matters for far too long, I have become accustomed to the condescension, the bravado, the bullshit that goes hand in hand. Sean resembles none of that. He's refreshingly down to earth and tells me bewildering, unprovoked things like, and of course, a ROM dump will follow. There isn't a more deserving to be immortalized in knitted cursive on a decorative pillow. Oh, there isn't a quote more deserving to be immortalized in knitted cursive on a decorative pillow. So here's a guy that's doing the right thing. And he's dumping a ROM of an unreleased game. He's not holding it hostage. Right. Like a lot of prototype bigwigs do. Or saying, well, I need to get at least $2,000 for me to release the ROM. Because that's how much money I put in it. Blah, blah, blah. Then don't fucking spend the money on it then. If you want to get, quote unquote, your investment back. Sure. Do the right thing. Get it out there. You don't own the intellectual uh, property when you buy these. You own the hardware the intellectual properties contain there, therein. So good on you, Sean, uh, for releasing it. And a very good recap from NintendoPlayer.com. Uh, you know, there's there's cutscenes. There's a map mode. I played the first level or most of it before the podcast. Um, it's a decent looking game, and it, it looks, looks like it, pu- it looks like it pulls upon the different Dwarfels powers to allow you to uh, get through certain areas. Yeah, uh, on on this website, which I'll, I'll link the ROMs at the bottom of the page. So after you read through this, they go through the entire game. They, they do a little map of each game. Excuse me, of each stage. Like Nintendo Power style, yeah. They show you lots of screenshots. They describe the game. I mean, this is called documenting, documenting a game uh, that people have not played outside of developers for twenty five years. This is fantastic work from NintendoPlayer.com. Thank you, Sean, for releasing this game. Now, in terms of the quality of the game, I only played most of the first level, and to me, it would have been like you would. This game would have come and gone. It wouldn't have been one you would have wrote home about. It would have been an average game, two and a half or three star game, according to a certain NES manual or NES guidebook. It would have been like it would have been a, a game like uh, I don't know uh, what's a platformer that you, I don't like Kid Cool. I'm like yeah, you, you know you talk about it every now and then. But, Kid Cool is no Kid Cool is a miserable pile of but shit. In terms of in terms of a game <laughs> you talk about every once in a while, but no one ever says I want to play Kid Cool. No one ever whatever is going to say I want to play Happily Ever After. Sure, you have a cape attack uh, that. The hit detection wasn't 100% on, for when I was playing at least. And then, like, when you spin the cave, you get powers. And, like, I pre- you spin it with B, then I pressed A, and, it, and a, a, a big uh, lily pad opened up on the little pond to jump across a little. So that was cool. I'm sure you can get other powers in the game. Like I said, I didn't play through the entire thing. Maybe the next NES Marathon will play through it. That could be Hey, fun. maybe. And, I mean, uh, by this person's uh, uh, article, they actually said that it was a pretty fun game. So don't take our word for it. Yeah, like I said. Play it yourself. I only played one level. Looks like you can get up to, like, seven powers. Maybe it's one from each uh, dwarf. That's what or I... Or fellow. That makes sense, right? Yep. And it looks like it was finished. I got through the end of the game. Uh, so good good on them again for uh, and Sean for making this available. And not holding his uh, hostage and not letting his ego get in the way of video game preservation and history. Ian, Nintendo has some words about the Wii U. So, uh, real quick here, I, this is, I mean, pretty freaking humorous. Um, Nintendo is claiming that the uh, NX is not going to be a uh, replacement uh, for the Wii U. Um, they're stating that it is something very new. The hardware, the software lineup, all of it is something I'd like to play for the first time myself, he said, which does nothing to uh, 
substantiate the fact that this is not a Wii U replacement. Um, when the NX is released, the Wii U business will slow. The Wii U business is already slow. Uh, however, the NX is neither the successor to the Wii U nor the 3DS. It's a new way of playing games. So a successor, which I think will have a larger impact than the Wii U. So it's going to be a successor. But I don't feel it's a pure replacement for the Wii U. What the fuck does that mean? So I, I just I wanted to bring this up because I find it interesting because Nintendo kind of has a habit of doing this. I don't know how many of you will remember back to when the DS came out. Um, but... I feel like when Nintendo is feeling like they're taking a risk on something, and I have a feeling this hardware is going to be interesting, the NX hardware, uh, I feel like they use what they already have on the market as sort of a a fallback, um, a, a, a potential fallback. They stated the DS was not going to be a replacement for the, the Game Boy Advance. They stated that it was going to run concurrently with the Game Boy Advance as a secondary piece of hardware entering the portable market. And frankly, while the Game Boy Advance was starting to show its age power-wise, it was still pulling off Super Nintendo-style uh, games perfectly well. They probably could have gotten a few more years out of it, but the, 3D, the Nintendo DS could do rudimentary 3D, and eventually it ended up being adopted and sold like wildfire, and of course, was a successor, and the G- the Game Boy Advance uh, support was quickly dropped, I would say, within about a year of the DS being released. So, once again, uh, Nintendo is, I don't know, just spouting... For all the people who think we're Nintendo fanboys, I'm totally cool with uh, like calling out what Nintendo's oh. just spouting absolutely nonsensical bullshit, well, this- which is what this is. Well, this is the CEO of the company, right? Tatsumi Kimishima. Yes. It's not like the CEO of a company can come out and say, yeah, our current product is fucking dead. Right. Like, you, know, you can't do that. You'd be ousted the next day. You'd be thrown off the, off the top of the building. But, I mean, yeah. everyone knows new hardware. I mean, you, you, don't, you don't have to speak you negatively. You say that about your product. You cannot say our current product is dead for a product that's going to come out a year from now. You just can't say that, no matter what. You have to- Sony referred to the PS4 as a successor to the PS3. Oh, you're, you're allowed to do this, that sort of thing. There's nothing wrong with saying yeah, that you're coming out with a successor to your hardware. Yeah, but, but Sony's that's like one minute part of their entire business versus, you know, this is all this is all Nintendo does. But there's always going to be a successor to the hardware. Yeah, well, you don't say you know, you're not. You're not no, but you do. You you're not fooling uh, anyone hey, here. You know, it's all presentation. You sound dumb. Hey, it's all the presentation. You, you sound know? idiotic. Yeah, you know, it's, you know, it's... Uh, no, you're, yeah, your Wii U and your NX uh, are going to sit side hey, by doing, side and live happily hey, fucking ever after. Hey, we're going to support the Wii U forever. It's never going to go away. <laughs> Come on, our, our stock numbers are going to go up tomorrow by 10 cents. <laughs> sure. You know? Um, I think I think uh, it's funny. I'm looking at the sales here in this little chart. I had no idea that the Wii U has only sold half of what the GameCube did, so that's bad. Oh yeah, it's only sold 10.7 million units. GameCube sold 21.7, and the Wii sold 101 uh, million <laughs> units, which yeah. is insane yeah. for any console. That'll never happen again. I don't think. No, that'll never happen in our lifetime. Well, until the aliens take over. And Nintendo creates a console that acts as like a body armor slash uh, laser beam to repel the invasion. Uh, then, then that's not a console. Right. That's self defense. They'll, they'll figure it out. It'll be an all in one <laughs> thing. There'll be a cartridge slot right. in there. Um, and the Nintendo DS, wow, the DS sold 154 million. And the 3DS sold 54 million, which is very good. That's Which very is why, once again, Nintendo will never stop selling hardware. Because for every failure like the Wii U, the Wii did fucking gangbusters times 50. 
The DS you know, did, and the 3DS, the DS, which the 3DS. some people like to call a failure, which is insane. It's insane because 54 million units is not small. 54 million is more than what the Super Nintendo did, and the Super and then it's, it's, it's they like put it that. in that perspective. Yeah, that's Super crazy. Nintendo did 49 million. And in terms of software, it's not like people forget. Like I'm looking at the software chart here. Mm-hmm. The, the Wii sold 911 million pieces of software. That's not a small number. No, that's a ratio of ten, per, almost it's nine per one per per unit. That's pretty respectable. That's that's better. That's better than what the Super Nintendo did. Again, you know. So if you if you bought a on average you bought a Super Nintendo, you bought about seven games for it. If you bought a Wii on average, you bought about nine games. I'm not sure if they're including soft, uh, downloadable titles for that, but that's still pretty good. Yeah. Uh, either way. And good old Game Boy and Game Boy Color included did 118 uh, million. Good old Game Boy. So, obviously, the Wii U is going to go away. I think it's going to be... You won't see any new games past the end of 2017. You're going to get you're going to get Zelda, and you'll get one more title just thrown. Or, yeah, but, you know, you'll get some of it. I don't get, think you're going to get another Nintendo well, title. I, oh, think, so I, think, I think Zelda's you, it. You're going to get you're going to get titles that are going to be in both Wii U and Wii for like a year or two. You're going to get someone... You know what I mean? Because like, the new Nintendo... Title that's going to come out is going to need the power, the entire power of the NX, you know, so they'll be able to port a version onto the to the Wii U probably. So, but but you're not going to get any fresh original games. No, that's for sure. You know, um, so maybe you get the Assassin's Creed movie tie-in when it comes out or something. Ubisoft will throw him a bone on the Wii U. <laughs> Ladies and yeah. gentlemen, my computer has decided to restart for the fourth time this evening. So, uh, Pat may. Have to guide me through some of this and uh, alert me as to what topics we are covering next. Oh, great. Well, I'm going to cut that out of the audio podcast because we don't need it. But anyway. Well, I, I would prefer people know why I maybe sound less informed than normal because I can't look <laughs> the, at my fucking sheet. Than normal. Uh, so Capcom is now prioritizing completeness, which is interesting because you'd think that would, would need to be a priority. No. That would be a goal to hit for your games. So... This, they actually had to come out and say this. So they, they acknowledge, remember we covered Street Fighter V, and I was sitting here bewildered, asking, what, there's no arcade mode? Yes. In a Street Fighter V game that's released? What what are these weird multiplayer modes where you can't, like, reselect your character normally? You know, things of that nature? So, they outline a plan, according to CEO Kenzo uh, Sujimoto, that will... Give them a process to make sure games are now ready to launch onto the market. Oh, good. <laughs> so they're they now fucking shelves. They are now prepared to delay games if they need more time. Uh, he said this as part of uh, Shujimoto said this as part of a Q and A session at the company's latest earning reports, um, and it was published on Capcom's website, so all of us could see. So he said, for games to be hits at the global level, they must be high quality. To this end, as a, <laughs> as a result of judging it necessary to spend a little more time on, on the development and operation of titles that are not yet up to that standard, we have revised the development periods for a small number of titles. Rather than absolutely holding to sales periods or development deadlines, in the pursuit of quality that wholly satisfies our users, we will carry out development that prioritizes completeness, even if it requires some scheduling adjustments. Wow, that's... 
Yeah, brilliant. That's that great. is the most Bravery. John Madden-esque bullshit I've ever heard. Come on. You got to get the football in the end zone to score a touchdown. No yeah. shit. The game's got to be complete for the customer to be happy upon purchase. Look, I like Street Fighter V. I'm not a competitive player. I oh like playing God. it against my friends. People are complaining about frame rate issues or frame uh, frame lag issues. It's incomplete. Yes, I get it. I understand the anger. I'm enjoying it, but it, it is at this point. It's laughable. Well, I mean, it's just. It's, it, I mean, you can't. Re- you cannot. You cannot go forward doing this. This is what. This is what started Capcom's. This is what started people writing eulogies for Capcom four years ago before they briefly turned shit around, right. and now they're doing it again. Well, it looks like Street Fighter Five underperformed. They thought it was going to sell two million units. It's only sold one point four million. So that's a big chunk below what they thought. That's like more than twenty five percent less of what they thought. And I think I know if you're a shareholder out there, you have to realize that yes, you know your bottom line might be affected in the short term if a game doesn't come out in time. But if you sell twenty five percent less copies than you planned because your game isn't complete, that hurts your long term goals. And your long term impact is a lot more important than your short term. Yeah, unless you're a fucking idiot. Uh, <laughs> I hate to say it, you don't know how to run a company. Um, so what? Did, did they have a story expansion coming out in June? Have they put in the freaking penalties for the rage quitters yet? Is that even? I in believe there? that's in there, and they have started rolling sake. out the characters, you know, and stuff like oh, that. Oh, really? But, yeah. Yeah. characters that we should have in our game. That's well, nice. I'm fine with a roster of sixteen, well balanced. But I mean, yes, obviously, obviously, Capcom was going to do this. Um, I don't think 16 is 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 shitty for a one-on-one fighting game. Um, obviously, they were going to what, what they want to do here. And I, honestly, I, I I feel like people are going to fall off of Street Fighter Five quick if they don't make some fixes. But um, you know, Street Fighter Four ran for eight years basically as a tournament staple. Street Fighter Four, and I think they that's what they want to do with Five. And to keep things fresh, they want to introduce characters one by one as opposed to doing super supers and turbos and i guess that's the better way it's not like capcom hasn't always done this but it's going to be interesting to see if they can even keep an initial fan base um there was and granted it's a slightly misleading title but at least physical copies pokin fucking tournament is outselling it pokin tournament the Pokemon fighting game for the Wii U has sold more physical copies than Street Fighter V. <laughs> Wii U is not dead, people! Wii U is not dead! Now, this, of course, does not take into effect the large number of people who digitally purchased it on PS4. Wii U is dead! And on um, <laughs> and on uh, Steam, but still, it's, uh, yeah, it's, uh, I, I don't know. Street Fighter V, because of Capcom's uh, lack of focus on completeness, um, is definitely not not doing so well. Maybe they can focus on putting a Mega Man game out. Oh, it's too soon still. If they canceled, <laughs> if they canceled forty-seven Mega Man games, because a lot of video game players can be real babies. Um, <laughs> my game doesn't get a perfect score. Uncharted Four came out for the PlayStation Four. The finale to the Nathan Drake story, um, a game series I don't have a, I don't have any investment in, but I've always looked at as kind of interesting, a modern-day Indiana Jones Tomb Raider-type character. I'd probably love these games if I had a chance to play them. Um, so the fourth and final installment comes out, and by uh, all most reviews, it's a very good game, very good conclusion to the trilogy. However, one person from the Washington Post did not care for it, gave it a bad review, did not attach a number to the end of it. 
Now, when the Washington Post supposedly uh, submits uh, reviews to sites like Metacritic, and uh, Metacritic is part of the fucking problem here. Aggregate sites can be a, a huge pain in the ass. Um, they, uh, you, you can either have your review go into the unscored category, or at the time of submitting, you can submit a score with it, even if your article didn't have a score. So they submitted it as a 40 out of 100. And everyone, because, you know, they're not just content to enjoy the game that they're enjoying, have decided to start a change.org petition to have this stricken from the record because that's fucking important. Because those change.org petitions always work. Yeah. Uh, and it's just the writing here is, is okay. Uh, I'm sorry, but when having too much detail became a bad thing, this reviewer is out of his mind. I believe you four... <laughs> I believe U4 is one of the greatest games ever created. Ever. And it is is my personal favorite for sure. Ever. Although I can justify some reviewers giving it a 9 or an 8. Because anything below a 7 is awful in this modern age, which is why aggregate sucks. This is an utter disgrace, Gene, because you were the only respectable staff that responded to this nonsense. You should remove this critic from the Metacritic and post a new sensible one that can justify its existence. Your Washington Post, for Christ's sake, not a 12-year-old's diary. Treat the game with professionalism and respect. So, the review did not do a good job of articulating his problems with the game. However, you know what it is? It's an opinion. (laughs) It's an opinion piece. And, uh... Especially if you're going to rely on aggregate sites and, like Metacritic, uh, this has every right to be in there. And this was a resp- this is a Washington Post review. This is like a major newspaper review, right? This too. So it's not like this is some guy's blog that he put up and got on Rotten Tomatoes with. So whether or not you agree with the review, and I'm not even saying the review seems to be particularly well done, um, you can't just go and demand that someone's opinion from the Washington Post, is invalid and must be stricken from the record. As I said before, are you and plenty of other people enjoying the game? Do the rest of the reviews reflect your sentiment that this is a very good game? Then go do something better with your life than trying to get a fucking review stricken from the record. It does not matter. It doesn't. And what's even more ridiculous about this whole story is Troy Baker, a voice actor who plays the brother of Nathan Drake, has endorsed this petition. I mean, this is utterly cringeworthy. Why does he fucking care? I don't know. He got his paycheck. He saw all the good reviews. Who cares? Is there a bonus if it gets a perfect score for the program? Well, and this is this is part is of there? this is part of the problem that, and, and this is where Metacritic is part of the issue. Wow. Um, a lot of, and this was brought up with uh, Fallout New Vegas was the big one. Um, if it got a, a a Metacritic score of lower than eighty two, they were not going to get bonuses, and because Metacritic is not exactly tight on who they allow to submit an official critics review uh, you can, these sorts of things can affect bonuses but that's a problem on Metacritic not a problem on a guy's opinion oh. you, you need your problem is the system that that's your that that's where you need to be focusing your concern I, I think part of the problem with games like this I remember did I play the demo at this last year or looked at it where those the truck Jeep going all through the, the Italian town or something. I, I don't know. I saw it last year. I'm, I'm asking myself, not necessarily you, Ian. You've got, like, staring into your nice grayish-green eyes. They change color daily. Um, the reviewer in the Washington Post is reviewing this like a movie. He's noting about how, like, 
the story is kind of weird. It doesn't add anything new to the psychology of the hero, even though it tries. Not really about the gameplay. You know why? These aren't really games anymore. When you when you buy Uncharted sure. Four, you're buying it more for the story or just as much for the story as it is for the gameplay. Right. So I think that's a danger you're in now when you have a reviewer at a major newspaper talking more about the dialogue that happens in some of the cutscenes in the game versus the actual what the fuck do you do when you play this game? Because look at this, I can't figure out what the game plays about reading this review. That's just I'm not sure if, if that goes into the bad review at all. But now you got to watch out for that because now it's no longer just about is a game fun to play. But what's the story now attached to the game? That's just as important now. Right? Because how many times like can you go over this as an action adventure puzzle solving game? Sure. You know, I mean, and, and, so you do have to focus on these things if they're going to be more cinematically presented. And maybe he went about it a way that a game reviewer necessarily shouldn't necessarily. But this is his way of going about it. And like I said, regardless of what you think of the review. It's his review and his opinion. Sure. I have no problem with the guy. If, 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 if the game didn't move him at all, it didn't move him. I don't care about the production values. I mean, if it was the same thing as the first for games and it was an un- unnecessary sequel, then he's reviewing it like a movie and I don't care. Right. So you shouldn't either. It's one person's opinion. <laughs> so Nintendo, I think we commented about the possibility of them doing Netflix series. About a year ago, yeah, I think those were all. That was all like rumor. I think and conjecture it ended up being, and, but... and maybe innuendo at the same time. <laughs> maybe it was also one of Queen's last albums. Check it out. Um, so it sounds like they want to get into really doing movies, and they want to do it themselves more than just licensing them. So they're going to go the Marvel Studios direction, which is important. <clears throat> so there's an interview that was translated. And it, had a, uh, and it was with uh, President Kimishima. Um, and he confirmed the following. Oh, drum roll. Shigeru Miyamoto is involved with Nintendo's new film efforts. That's and, huge. I mean, that's uh, absolutely in, uh, yes. integral. Being, a, being the creative director, you know, the guy involved with these franchises for, you know, 40 fucking years, that's important. Um, it, it wasn't noted which Nintendo franchises would be spun into movies. But something that, but they said it will be something that everyone enjoys. I'm pretty sure what the number one on everyone's list is going to be. Yeah, what a Mario Brothers? No, I think I think I think I, I, I would I would almost say Zelda. I would think, say Legend of Zelda would be, would be optimal. It's uh, got the most room for an actual movie. Yes, it's Lord of the Rings. For God's sake, you can do it. Now they're doing fucking Warcraft movies. They can do Legend of Zelda. Um, and the primary goal of making Nintendo movies is to expand the profile of the company's franchises. It's to make money, but okay, that that does the same thing. I mean, I'm sure if you put out a Legend of Zelda movie, you're going to have people from 10 years old to 50 that are going to want to see it, and everyone's going to see it, and people are going to be like, oh, it's a, it'll say Lord of the Rings, and maybe they'll discover, everyone knows what Legend of Zelda is, even people that aren't into video games know what Legend of Zelda is. It's been around forever. What also made me happy about this article was the statement that it is unlikely to be live action and it is most likely to be animated. I'm sure that means CG animated, but that to me is... Uh... A very, very smart move on their part. I think that would depend on the franchise. I think a Legend of Zelda movie you could do live action if you could do it well. No, I don't. I, I think you could. I think the potential to do it uh, would be probably just as big, if not better, than uh, animated. Uh, or maybe a, a movie like Metroid live action could work out. I think well, Metroid could work out live action, sure. I, 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 I uh, could see that. A movie like Super Mario Brothers, no, that's got to stay that's animated. Yeah, 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 we've already tried that. <laughs> we're never going we're not, to see that again. again. I, I think you have to you have to do it, uh, you know, 
franchise a franchise. Uh, a Star Fox movie would, would probably obviously only be uh, CG yeah. animated. You know, like Pixar related. Unless it's looking like, you know, Chuck E. Cheese's, you know, musical pizza review. <laughs> Rasmataz <laughs> and Perth, Perth Amboy, New Jersey. So then they said it's going to happen within five years, which is not too optimistic. I think that's realistic. Yeah. Um, to put together, uh, you know, like Marvel, like say Marvel Comics, when they put together their studio, it took them a few years to get a movie out. So you can do it uh, within five. If you have, you have to have someone leading the way, though. And if Miyamoto is going to be one of the head guys, like Kevin uh, uh, Feig uh, or Feig uh, at Marvel, uh, you, you need a creative director to sort of wrangle everything together, and make sure you don't go off the track. Right. And you have someone really in charge of casting good directors and getting good writers. And and if you have to get uh, stars, if it's live action, making sure you're not just doing something just to do it. You know, it has to work, has to make sense. Sure. Um. That said, it could it could obviously go wrong, but I think Nintendo w- would be they're not gonna this isn't gonna be like this isn't gonna be like the Super Mario Brothers movie because I think Nintendo's in a much more precarious position uh, nowadays, especially with social media, um, with the with the Nintendo. Let's just say their hardware, right? At least right now, we can't say in five years. Right now, their hardware is sort of a at a low point, you can say uh, historically. I think they're going to invest the time and effort to do it right. I, I think they have to because it, because it affects their other properties, it affects their games, it affects hell, their, even their amiibo and whatever toys they're going to put out. Right? They can't just spit it out. They got to they have to take their time and do it right. And I think they will. I well, think a projection careful. of five years, like we said already a bunch of times, Miyamoto, uh, the fact that they're going to carefully pick what they're doing. Uh, you know, a, a, a careful focus on perhaps animation over live live action. I, I, I think they're sticking to things within their wheelhouse. So I'm going to say Legend of Zelda, I'll say Metroid, I'll say a, a CG Star Fox, maybe a CG Super Mario Bros. you got to do a Super Mario Bros. movie at some point. You have right. To. It's the most recognizable character in the world. You have to do it at some point. And they've started giving the characters depth in recent years through the RPG series, the Paper Mario series, oh, okay. you know, that sort of stuff. You know, they, they actually have some characterization to them besides, you know, uh, it's a me Mario and, uh, you know, Charles, sort of thing. Charles Martin got to eat, right? Yeah. You got to get him on there. <laughs> you know, I, you know, I bet you they wouldn't keep him for, for the movie. They'd probably hire someone else like someone people actually knew. Yeah. Do a more Italian voice versus just it's a me. I'm a cat. I'm a stereotype. You know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna piss off the Italian Americans. You know, never, never. So Square Enix has announced that they're going to produce ten thousand more of the Final Fantasy 15 Ultimate Collector's Editions. These are the very expensive ones um, that come with. Uh, uh, the big thing is, is it comes with a, uh, a figurine of the main character. Um, and they don't know how quickly they will an be able book? to uh, an art book, um, DVDs, bonus content, and steel uh, ca- a steel bookcase. What the fuck is that? Steel bookcase? A steel, a steel, a steel case. It's a, it's just a way of uh, packaging a game. Oh. Um, and it's coming with a, a Play Arts Kai figure, um, and those are very, very detailed. And so it's going to take time. So these may not be available at launch, but they're doing. They're doing a good thing here by trying to make sure that the people who want these can get these. And what this is such a beautiful thing, and it's such a reoccurring theme on the podcast, is a big fuck you to the scalpers who buy these things up and lord them over you and try to sell them for $700. And then, you know, 
unfortunately, there are people who went and paid that money, but the people who were patient and waited now get a shot at 10,000 more, which is bringing the total of them up to 40,000. And I think that, given, I think, what the original price was of two ninety nine dollars uh, for this edition, I think that's probably going to satiate most of the people who want these. This is $299? I believe so. Holy fuck. I believe that's this edition, yes. For a figurine in the game and it, whatever the hell steel bookcase is, one and two? A steel case book. It's just a steel case. Holy shit. You guys are nuts. That's coming from me. But didn't they announce that they were going to do this right after the original ones came out? Uh, they said they were going to think about it, yeah. So so this goes to show you, just, just fucking be patient, people. You also have to be keep patient. in mind that these 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 figurines, that these, these statues that Square does are not cheap to begin with. So whether or not sure. you agree with the price, two ninety nine is actually not ridiculously out of the ballpark here. How big are here. these? What are we talking about? A 12-inch? Uh, I don't know. I would say probably 12. Okay, yes. so if it's worth 100 bucks, though, it's still a lot of money. Yes. $300. Um, so so the, this brings up the 12 to 40,000 that are going to be out there. Right. And, like I said, you know, they, they can't promise that they're going to be there for launch, but it's nice that they're there anyways. Um, but I think this this is just a cautionary tale for people who really want stuff like this. I don't think the companies... You have to understand, companies don't want scalpers to get in on this any more than um, we do. They want to... Um, they want to uh, make money, make the money. Uh, yeah, so they're going to make more. If there is obviously a demand for this, they are going to make more. So wait a minute, this doesn't come out to the fall. This this game, right? Uh, September, I believe. So, are you getting a like a download code that's included with this? No, it would be a physical copy of the game. Oh, so the people are scalping; these are not even out yet. No, no, they're scalping pre-orders oh, for Jesus them. Jesus God Almighty! Yeah, you're scalping pre-orders, people. You're scalping a dream. Excuse me, you're scalping a dream. I mean, not even like a real physical item. Like, a hope that it's going to be there and come out for you. Ugh. Makes me sick. Uh, speaking of that, in all of our scalping tales, you can see I created a Best of the CU Podcast playlist. <laughs> Quick plugs. This is a short segment. So I'll put it here. Click on it. You can see us talk about stuff like the Cleveland Chameleon Saga and all its gory details. Uh, Stame events coming out of the, out of the blue. All the various eBay auctions for entire video game sets that go for far too much that are asked for. And stuff like scalping tales. And maybe, you know, some embarrassing tales about Luna uh, Luna customers coming in or me having problems getting a TV. You know, stuff like that. (laughs) Enjoyable tales for all. Yes. Put (laughs) that on a Sunday afternoon. Let it run and just have a nice mimosa. So, you know, Ian, eSports are all the rage. Yeah, and they're also. It seems like they're a freaking mess. Well, it's 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 the growing pains of a, of a quote unquote sport in its infancy. You see, when sports organized sports, whether it's football or baseball, they start with like these leagues, you know, and these leagues have rules and they have committees that dis- define what goes into the, the tournaments and the play and the games. So the problem so far is that there's not like a unified body really defining. All the, the various tournaments and competitions. So, like an NFL or something. Yeah. Like so, that. so it would like, for example, there's like uh, there's a there's a bunch of different mixed martial arts organizations, not just UFC. Sure. But there's one unified code uh, of rules that encompasses just about all of them that they abide by ninety five percent of. Them, whether it's remember they had Pride in Japan, you know, and they had 
UFC here, and there's Bellator. So all of them said like no eye gouging, no fish hooking, you know, no stuff like that. No, no like neck strikes. You know, everyone abide by the rules. The whole point is this: there's no one defining no eye gouging for esports right now. There's sure. no, there's no. It's by tour by tournament what goes on, right? By event, by event, which you don't want. Obviously, you want it to be unified. So there's no shenanigans. So everyone plays by the same rules, and everyone knows. So, we saw, we saw. Stop. W E S A is a uh, a new foundation coming about um, that's trying to be like it's the World Esports Association. It's supposed to try to create this unifying body to oversee and be the ruling body for all of esports. And they're trying to get going with this. Um, there was a press conference. They did it in London to go over what they're going to do. <clears throat> but there's major problems with this. Here's the first problem. Half of WISA is owned by uh, ESL, which is the world's biggest esports network that's going getting yes. up started. So right away, you should not have a network running esports being involved uh, with an organization overseeing esports. No, that's a huge fucking conflict of interest. That'd obviously. be like ESPN having money, contr- yeah, money. NFL, yeah. right? And it's like, wow, you could, you you couldn't see potential corruption or maybe favoritism on what you're showing on the network on some events versus the others. It doesn't make any sense. Here's a here's first problem too. Uh, you have eight pro teams that get to uh basically come together and help decide on the policy of what these tournaments and these uh rules these these ground rules are going to be keep in mind that it's not just eight teams playing it's eight teams speaking for hundreds so it sounds like you're gonna have these eight teams as part of the council then you're gonna have another body separate from the teams but the whole point is that you should not have teams you should not have the big power. These are like powerful teams too. Obviously, that they're asked to do this. You should not have them potentially making judgments about policy or rules of tournaments they play in. Because obviously, again, they're not impartial, and maybe they're going to have rules that favor themselves. It's just, it's just, it's just bad form. It would be like if the NBA, if if their players' association was like five teams instead of members from all teams. Right. So, not saying it would happen, but you could potentially then come up with a set of rules that could favor the people that are making the rules. It's just the look of impropriety. Sometimes that's all you need. The perception of something being bad or corrupt is all you need. Once you get that far, it's over. It should You should drop it or, or, or try again. So, there was this great GameStop Excuse me, GameStop. GameSpot. I transposed a couple letters there. GameSpot interview with the founder here of it, or one of the founders. His name is Reichart. Uh, and, and, and they brought up some good questions. Like, in order for said to be legitimate, shouldn't it be independent from active esports teams? I mean, that's pretty common sense to me. Yeah. And Reichart's response is, I honestly don't think so. Honestly, you don't think so? Come on, you can, can you say I dishonestly 
Don't think so because that would be more accurate. I think. Right. I, I <laughs> Why why would that be okay in the slightest? Um you have a small body of teams that are going to compete with a larger body of teams that get to dictate policy. And he c- continues to try to downplay that their involvement is going to be minimal, but any is too much. But money comes from the pro teams to fund this Wisa to even operate. That's yes. the problem. That's another issue is that, yes, there's ah! money going ah! into it. And also, allegedly, uh, coming out um, just, allegedly. just today or a few days ago, uh, teams were paid as much as $150,000 to join the body. To get it started. So there's money going both ways. And, and supposedly you have other tournaments like t- taking snipes and jabs at this Wisa. Because, okay, this Wisa starts up. I run a tournament. I've been doing it for years. Why the fuck do I got to buy by what they say? Why right. do I have to do that? Especially if it's a respected long-running tournament. I don't need... At this point, I, I don't need you. I don't... Especially if I don't agree with your rules or think they're ethical, why do I have to abide by them? What's in it for me? hmm So, this is really weird. Because usually when you have these organizations come up, you have to have everyone agree on it, first of all. Or they have to then... Be the, the like for example, going back to like boxing commission and stuff. They have to sanction events. The power comes from the state or or government for them to sanction events. Here, it's the opposite. You have events already going on. They don't need to be sanctioned by anyone. And this is now Wisa trying to force themselves into be part of the sanctioning of the rules, a governing body. It's really weird and backwards, especially if you have uh, only a, a limited number of pro teams part of the committee of Wisa. I don't see this working out at all. Not at all. Like, this is going to be laughed at. No, this, it, it already is being laughed at. This is a nightmare of a mess. And what's I, I what I found to be just, I mean, absolutely preposterous was he kept trying to compare himself to FIFA. Right, Gart? Yeah. That's yeah. A, that's, a good, that's a great yeah. fucking organization to yeah. try to put if yourself in the same league yeah, as. If you guys didn't know, if you don't follow sports, FIFA is extremely corrupt. Um, the president that is forced out is under investigation from in the U.S. Yeah. Uh, so, I, I, yeah, you don't want to get, compare yourself to FIFA. FIFA is, does not have a strong reputation at all. At all. Uh, so, again, this good reporter at GameSpot is saying, like, you don't see a conflict of interest in this at all when these eight teams are helping define the rules? And they say, well, they're not defining the execution of the rules, just the rules themselves. So that makes it better then. You know, it's just you cannot have any semblance of either favoritism or corruption when it comes to any competition. Right. And this this just smells of it. But when you have, yeah, you have eight teams on there, it, it, you automatic, whether whether it's going to or not, it's the the appearance of it, it looks like that's favoritism for these eight teams, no matter what no matter what way they got picked and put up there. And reportedly, one of the eight teams is already pulling out of it. Uh, Faze or Faze? Yeah, is uh, ditch. Yeah, they've ditched the newly formed governing body, even if it will cost them. Um, it will fork. They will have to fork over fifty thousand ESL and WESA for their departure. And uh, good for them. They smell that this is uh, BS. I mean, what I'm I, we're, we're looking at what six months maybe before this is a, a a laughable footnote in esports history. Sure. Uh, at some point, there's going to have to be a governing body, but it's tough, especially when this is these competitions are international, right? You know, they're not just all in the U.S. They're not all just in Europe or South America or Asia. I'm not sure how it's going to happen. I think you're in a weird sort of point right now, where it's not like like baseball or football. You know, these these are games started in like the 19th century or early 20th century, where they start 
from you know ground swells farms and then they slowly come together form rules slowly form leagues this is already multi-million dollar tournaments going on and you have networks coming without any of the i would say ethical or moral infrastructure in place to get to this point it would be like if the nfl all of a sudden had multi-billion dollar uh tv deals within the first five years of it existing not after 80 years of it existing you know, these aren't baby steps. You are, they're now taking these giant leaps towards legitimacy, having networks, having these tournaments, being an ESPN2, without even having a governing body to establish rules and practices. I don't know. I think the genie's out of the bottle. Because like, there's too much money at stake now to decide to, to, for these tournaments to say, all of a sudden, we're going to go by whatever you say. Right. You know what I mean? The mon- there's too, already money being made. I don't know if it's ever going to happen. Well, no, I it's just feel like it's not, not, not every aspect of esports needs to mimic a real sport. And I feel like it might be too late for what they're trying to do. But you definitely need ruling a ruling a committee you should for having a unifying set of rules. I totally believe you should have that. I'm not, I don't necessarily disagree, but I think it just goes back to how at this point, how do you wrangle everything together? The world, I mean, the world of esports is too big. It's, it's probably going to have have all the major tournaments coming together, and it's going to have to be no no teams involved, or if the teams involved, it has to be individual players wrangled around the same way they have player associations, and then the major tournaments have to have representatives from each, and then hash something out. I was going to say that's the only way I can think of it is the big tournaments come together and kind of dictate how this works. Hash out not, like, not teams. Hash out like a loose constitution, but then you're also, you know, it's also the fact that these tournaments and these games are entirely different. You know. So do you have a unifying body for first-person shooters, for Counter-Strike versus the MOBAs? You know what I mean? Like, Well, that's how you're going to have to do it. You can't just call all esports esports when, 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 when the different games are so very different. You can't compare Counter-Strike Go to something like League of Legends yeah. or StarCraft. They're entirely different games. It's like trying to have uh, hockey and football and soccer all under one body. All right, we'll see what happens with that. So this came to my attention in an email before it b- broke out everywhere. That I guess the uh, the power of the CU podcast sometimes works. Well, in this case, it didn't work because it got re- everywhere else. But the so basically, this is what happened. A guy got in touch with me, saying I've had this YouTube video of Double Dribble online for years and years and years, and it shows a glitch in the game. If you ever played Double Dribble, you know there's multiple spots in the court. I was like a little mini layup mm-hmm. that you can almost 99 percent of the time get a basket because the game is glitched. Yeah, uh, the one, the big one that everyone knows is generally the three pointer, which is what the, what this video showed. Right. So it's the three pointer. You go above the basket. You you go all the way to the, you start jumping. You jump all the way to the boundary line, uh, the top right, and then it goes in. So he had this video up for years. I think it was like eight years. It's been online. So all of a sudden, Family Guy comes out with the recent episode, and the episode starts with. The gang, you know, Peter, was it Clyde and uh, Giggity Giggity? Uh, they're all playing, and they decide to play. They play Tecmo Bowl and they play Double Dribble, a two-player game. So they took this footage off of YouTube, which is called Double Dribble NES Automatic Shot. It's been online since 2009. It has 348,000 views. It's by user Switched with a number one for the eye. So they took this footage off of, off of YouTube. They altered it slightly. Instead of the CPU for player two, they put a two-player in. Um, they changed the sound effects. So I guess they're afraid of having the same sound effects. And they played the entire clip on Family Guy. 
kind of floating with, the, you know, they put it inside like a TV graphic. Right. And they're just commentating over it, and Peter's cheating by doing the three-pointer. And, um, so what happened was, after this aired on TV, the original YouTube video was flagged for copyright and was unviewable. So this person emailed us and said, hey, this is fucked up, this happened. Emailed us about, uh, about five, six days ago. Seven days ago, uh, emailed us, and I'm recording this on the 24th, saying, this is, this is messed up, can you help us? And I said, oh, we'll cover it on the podcast. But since, since then, there's been like five, six articles written, other YouTubers have commented on it. Um, I, hell, I, I thought about tweeting at Seth MacFarlane to help out. So it was a fucked up situation, because they took the, you know, and, and technically you can get into, well, you know, who owns the footage is double dribble, does Konami own the footage? But you, you think you at least have the courtesy of asking to, to use this. Because it's like not even edited. It's the entire clip. Right. And it nice. starts and ends at the same spots. It's not edited at all. It's a, it's, it's a, it's a minute and it was a minute and 14 seconds. You know, or a minute, about a minute. It even ends with a little weird three-pointer from half court that the guy did in the original video. So it's really messed up that they did it. But at the very least, though, uh, they, they took down the copyright. Right. Flag. Well, it's interesting because I think initially people thought that this was some sort of malicious thing uh, that maybe Fox had done. They steal this footage, they, uh, you know, put it on the show, and then they DMCA the original footage. Um, what I think it was probably more likely to happen is, and, and this is just more issues with YouTube, mm-hmm. YouTube... After YouTube recognized it as something from an episode of Family Guy, vice versa, and it was auto flagged yes. for, for for being yeah. that. So basically, with the way Content ID works, is that when you upload something, you can select it to be put into the Content ID system, and then you can then manually, like you can you can manually search for stuff that's Content ID, but or or be sent a list of stuff you go through. But I'm sure in this case, for, for Fox doesn't want Family Guy episodes uploaded. So they're probably going to say, okay, anything automatically uploaded, you know, that's it. Strike it down. And that's what happened here, most likely. They don't want the bad press, Fox. They don't need the revenue. Right. You know, so it's they, to the, in their eyes, they probably thought someone was uploading the episode just came out. Yeah. And they didn't realize it, but then within a few days, they corrected it. Um, so I'm glad it got obviously corrected. It's a cool little cute video. It's, a, it's an earlier video from the olden days of YouTube 2009 from the aughts. <laughs> we call it now, the, we call it the teens now. It's called, I don't know. The aughts of 2000, uh, so long ago. The aughts never caught on with me. I could never, no. I could never. You call, you call it the zeros? I just the call O's? it the 2000s. I think the aughts will catch on. Uh, but anyway, uh, the, the, also in the episode, I'm not sure if the other one was taken down, but they also played a Tecmo, uh, Tecmo Super Bowl. Um, and they did uh, the Bo Jackson run, how, you know, Bo Jackson's quicker than everyone else. Or was it Tecmo Bowl? I think it's like, Super Bowl. It was Super Bowl. Where you can do he's, the zigzags still, back and forth and literally run out the timer. He's fucking quick in both. I guess he's just as quick or quicker in Tecmo Super Bowl. Yeah. Um, so they did that too. And Way said like, you know, four minutes of the f- first episode is really cheap. You don't have to animate anything. Just take YouTube clips and put them up. You know, that, that's great. Um, which also shows the weakness of always a family guy of not really writing jokes. No. And just having random shit. I try. I was gonna try to stay away from criticisms, but man, I fucking hate that show. <laughs> I liked the first years before it came back on. After that, it was, we'll just mail it in, Seth. Yeah, that's kind of how I feel about Futurama too. And, and I don't know. I thought that well before South Park took their shots. Well before it with the with, oh, the, sure. with the manatees and the random words. <laughs> so, 
So NECA is doing some very, very cool exclusives for Com- San Diego Comic-Con this year. Uh, in the, um, They're continuing their line of uh, the, uh, the video game the- uh, paint-themed um, action figures. Uh, so, you know, the famous one that started it was the Jason. Then they did a uh, Freddy. Then they did RoboCop and Rambo, Rambo and every, everyone under the damn sun. Batman. Well, now we got a really cool one, and it's the Ninja Turtles from the Ninja Turtle arcade game. <laughs> and they're also doing uh, the Foot Soldiers and Shredder. And they're doing it in two separate boxes. One with the four turtles, one with three foot soldiers, and one with Shredder, if I remember correctly. Yeah, Shredder, yeah, Shredder's with soldiers. the foot, foot soldiers. Yeah. The, the yellow, was it yellow, red, and blue? S- yeah, spear, regular, and I think the shuriken. Um, oh, yeah, maybe the gun. The gun guy. So these are fantastic looking. Um, and they are actually accepting pre-orders for these, I believe, starting tomorrow. So by the time you hear this, it'll be too late, but it'll be the it's 25th. It's too late, baby, now it's too late <laughs> to get those ninja toys. But, um... It's going to be a Comic-Con exclusive, and this is why. Playmates owns the rights to the Turtles toys they have for eternity. So it's and, the original ones, yeah. Yeah. And this is sort of a team-up where they're allowing NECA to work their magic on it, but only within the confines of Comic-Con, which is going to make these, I think, incredible... Well, they're already incredibly desirable just based on the fact that they're freaking cool. But this is... I think, unfortunately, this is going to be a real case of the limitedness of these is going to cause these to skyrocket. Yeah, oh, yeah, because the the Friday the 13th ones went up in value and held their value. Uh, I'm not sure what they go for now, 80 or 100, but all the other ones are available so much, like you can get the Batman and... The Friday ones for so cheap doesn't matter. By the way, you know who broke this news? Our friend Pixel Dan. Indeed, he did broke the news. Check out Pixel Dan, the AVGN of toy reviewers online. So, I want these. Boy, do I want these! It's great because they have like pixels drawn on them, so it kind of looks like if you squint. Like, no, I th- I think the paint job on these is 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 one of the better paint jobs they've done in a long time. It and, looks very good. And there's ton of there's a ton there's tons of Ninja Turtle figures and some look cartoonish, but the fact that there's they're kind of pixelated, and the foot soldiers look like the foot soldiers from the, the video game, and hopefully the box art like the the pictures uh, on on the promo video has the backdrop being like graphics from the arcade game mm-hmm. Konami, and there's there's uh, Mike ha- has it, Michelangelo has like the twirling, there's like an accessory that looks like it's twirling his, his nunchucks, it's just very intelligent. I like that uh, Raphael is holding it, and his little yep. fist like that. That's really cute, and. Uh, there's a limit when you pre-order it. It's two per person per product, which means you get a you know two sets per person. So I will try to get mine in, Ian. And then for you out there, the four people that asked me, I'll have to do a lottery, or I don't know how I'm going to pick who I, who gets those. <laughs> I might. I, I I will. As much as it pains me, I will probably pass on these. I'm in the process of trying to cut down clutter in my life, and as awesome as these are, I just don't need eight more pieces of shelf candy. But they're oh. fucking awesome. So, have they done Ninja Turtle figures in the past, NECA? I don't know. These look like new molds to me, because these do look, beyond the paint job, these do look like the video game characters. I mean, I'm thinking these are going to cost $50 a box, so $100 for the f- full set. That's about, you know, $12 a figure. I almost feel like that's a little low. Is it going to be more than that? I would, say, I'm, I would guess 75 Oh, okay. All right. But I'm going to get these. And I, I don't collect a lot of toys, because... Uh, like I said, you're already into four-year-old version territory with the games. 
once you combine that with toys, it puts it over the top. And plus, you don't have the room for all this stuff. Um, it's, it's just hard to display, display all this, all these things. But these look cool. I'm hoping they have packages that you can take them out and you put them back in if you want, so it protects the value. Yeah, yeah, that'd be cute. Something that, that it's not like a, just a blister seal yes. that rips away. Sure. Yeah, maybe just a, maybe just a sticker seal you can take off and put back on. So check it out. Check out my pal and your pal. He should be everyone's pal. Pixel Dan is on YouTube, and he's a big. Uh, Guy at Comic Con and Mattel loves him. His face is on the Mattel. You go to Mattel booth and he's there. Pixel Dan is talking at Mattel booth. It's insane. <laughs> it's absolutely insane. We all love Tetris. It's a it's a father. Why'd you look? At the, why'd you look at the games for? Uh, no, I didn't look at the games. I I'm I'm lukewarm on Tetris. It's the godfather of puzzle games. Oh you sure, have to like Tetris. I'm just awful at it. I'm I've gotten better as I got older. I'm still not great. That's why I suck at NWC, Nintendo World Champions, because I'm not good at uh, Tetris, which basically, you have to be good at Tetris to be good at the game. So, you know what I always said, Ian? This has to be adapted into a major motion picture. You know what I always Tetris. said? Yeah. Uh, actually, Pat, I feel like this needs to be a trilogy of major uh, motion pictures. Absolutely. Developed between the U.S. and China. Oh, uh, Yes. So this is what's going on. <laughs> That that quick face you just made of disapproval. So this is going to be co-produced by China and the U- U.S. under Threshold Global Studios, Sounds. which was created by Chinese billionaire Bruno Wu and Mortal Kombat producer Larry Kasanoff. That's a familiar name. He's done mm-hmm. movies. Uh, they've been working on Tetris Company for over a year now. They've secured a budget for the film and to the formation of the studio. $80 million. <laughs> <laughs> For a Tetris movie. But here's the deal. It's going to be a sci-fi thriller somehow. Yeah, this is what they state. And they say that it's not going to be cheesy. It's going to be something that takes you completely by surprise. Now, what I think all of us, the whole world, who has heard this news is doing, has been racking their brains for days. And maybe someone out there has a theory, but I cannot fathom how you are going to turn Tetris into a sci-fi thriller not just one movie but over the course of three full length motion pictures well the Matrix trilogy was three movies originally it was supposed to be one and they fleshed it out you know, with diminishing returns yes but, but at least the Matrix presented an interesting world that was not based on dropping puzzle pieces I'm thinking this it's like you know Arkanoid your little ship yeah Maybe the Tetris pieces will be ships, and they come together to form a Voltron Tetris robot. Oh God, please um, save me! Hey, I'm. So, I, I just probably put more thought into it than they have. You probably did, I'm but, not... but I mean that could be that could be something sci-fi, huh? Yeah, yeah, sure. They're spaceships, each. They're... I mean, they have to come from space. That's basically what I I, I feel like. Either that, or it's going to be a bloodborne disease. <laughs> Or something like the that. The Tetris Bloodborne Disease. Yeah, it's it's, like, it's going to be a medical like sci-fi thriller where where there are viruses in it. Yeah, and you have to, I don't know, someone's going to go you into start, the bloodstream in a ship and rearrange the pieces to make the virus throwing disappear. Throwing Tetris pieces before you die, like the bubonic plague, you start sneezing a lot. I mean, we've already gone off the rails here. I mean, what else? I mean, All right, so this is their ideal first project for their goal of making, in quotes now, Cross-cultural movies for the global market, which means it'll come out all over Asia, but not the U.S. Probably is what yeah. that's going to mean. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're going to you're going to see that like uh, maybe on Netflix, most likely at your bargain bin at Walmart, <laughs> uh, most, most likely for four ninety nine. You know, for the, for the next three years, we'll still be making DVDs. Um, 
so Kasanoff gave a description in 2014 saying the first movie will show in quotes the teeny tip of an iceberg that has intergalactic significance <laughs> which can mean anything your heart desires yes absolutely and it's going to be filming in China because you know it's partially Chinese produced and it's probably cheaper to film there um, the line producer has worked on Deadpool and Omelisa which I'm not sure what that is and Harry Potter and also the Hunger Games so that, that's a, so a line producer is basically uh, the person that like accounts for the budget so that's what a line producer does they like make sure you know what everything costs okay so doesn't really mean creatively doesn't really mean much of the great no things, th- but, th- there's nothing creative to be said about that uh, not necessarily um so we've we've had Angry Birds just came out to decent reviews and it did it, it did well. Um, Battleship, which had almost zero connection to the games, came out and uh, wasn't Rihanna in that? That didn't do well. No. Uh, and you had Pixels, which did well, which was well not a video game itself, but based upon a, a bunch of video games together. I don't know. Not much more to say about this except that uh, I I will have to watch this out of principle because if you ever want to see a putri- uh, putris. <laughs> Putris the movie. <laughs> if you ever want to see a puzzle game made into a movie, this could be your only chance. Because I don't count Angry Birds. Because that's more like cute cartoon characters. Yeah. Uh, this is one of those things where it's so bad that, I mean, I I have to, I just, I have to know. I, this is not something I will see in theaters, but will I find this on cheap-ass DVD and do drugs and watch it at my apartment? Yes. Well, unless you're in Shanghai, you won't be able to see it in theaters. Because it will not get released <laughs> in the U.S. <laughs> That's for sure. Good news, everyone. Good news, everyone. Good news, everyone. There's been jail sentences handed down for YouTube pranksters who think they're fucking untouchable because it's a prank, bro. So, um, there is a uh, a YouTube channel called Troll Station. Um, They've uh, faked... trolling so fucking edgy. God, it's so fun. So funny. So unique. So cool. Um... They've uh, faked kidnappings. They've faked bomb threats, and most recently, uh, they faked an art heist uh, at a Brit- at, at Britain's uh, uh, the the National Portrait Gallery in London. In London, and the thing is, is when you're doing these pranks, you're creating real public terror, confusion, and fear. Uh, it's like yelling fire in a movie theater. Yeah, and, it's not protected under free speech. Right, exactly. Uh, and you look like fucking jerkbags by ruining everyone else's fucking day. So what made my day is all four pleaded guilty uh, to various counts. And um, they are receiving prison sentences anywhere from 16 weeks, 18 weeks. Yeah. I think someone is getting 24 weeks for a separate bomb hoax. Uh, yeah, slaps, I gotta be honest. Slap on the wrist, though. Yeah, this is. I, if if anything about this makes me angry, it's that this shit is not. Should I, I don't feel like something like a bomb hoax should be measured in weeks. No, uh, a bomb hoax. Uh, that's serious. That uh, tr- stealing a fucking painting. That's that's goofy. But a bomb hoax is serious. That can cause. That can besides causing uh, distress. But you're, that's resources then, because you have the bomb squad come out. You cordon off streets. That's that's using public resources. That's a whole level above. All of this is. I mean, yeah. with, with, with with a with a fake, uh, you know, with a, a a fake heist of a um, of art. I mean, you still have people in in masks uh, and it appears stockings. 
uh, scaring people. Uh, police are going to have to get involved in that, which is wasting resources. Uh, the people who work security who have to pour over these 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 film footages. Uh, this is all just like this whole prank culture. This whole let's make other people's lives miserable for yeah. the humor of for for the, for, for, the, for, the, for the entertainment of a few sick deranged individuals who think this is actually kind of funny. It's just it's fucking gross. Because and remember, I'm, I'm it, glad to see this. It's not a prank when you're doing it to innocent people who have no fucking clue who you are. That's not a prank. That's harassment. Right. There's nothing clever about going some, up to someone on the street and fucking with them. Yeah. It doesn't take wit. It doesn't take humor to do that. It just means you're an asshole. You have uh, to, that's a, all a, a prank is making a pot of coffee out of fucking soil at your office building, and even that's dumb as shit, but, like, there are people you know, and you're like, ha-ha, a, a whoopee cushion is a fucking prank. Snapping gum is a fucking prank. A bomb hoax is not a prank. Those those ice cubes with the, with the, the with fly. With a fly. Those are great. That's great. Man, I want to. I want to go. That, the come that makes you drool out your mouth and turns your mouth blue. I want to go back to one of those oldie timey prank stores that used to be everywhere that you can't find anywhere anymore. The 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 the, 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 the buzz thing when you shake someone's hand. Yeah, the, the, the joy buzzer. Joy buzzer. So, stuff you see in the back of a comic book. Those were pranks. I had a. Uh, I had a kid actually. Fake, come fu- fake vomit. Yeah. Oh, fake vomit was gross looking too. Yeah, it was fake, fantastic. Fake poop. Um, I had a I had a kid come in the other day and he was like, dude, he was like, ten. And he had the most obvious trick gum in the world. And trick gum does hurt, depending on oh, like really? where it's made. Oh yeah, it's a fucking mouse trap. Is essentially what it is. Oh, the mouse trap one. Where yeah. where, where you pull the gum out and it, and it snaps. And down it always on your looks thumb. like Wrigley's like a juicy fruit or juicy fruit, which no one has eaten since eighty seven. <laughs> so or the kid comes in. He's like, "Hey, you want a piece of gum?" And I'm like. I'm gonna make this fucking kid's day right now, and it hurt like such a motherfucker. Is because it it's spring? Just, yeah, it's it's a spring loaded thing that, I mean, it catches you right on the thumbnail. It's like, oh, you got me, you old, little rascal. How old was a kid? Like ten. That's way past eight, cute. Eight. Okay, eight. It eight. was. He was like eight to ten. I would have broken it in half. I I knew what he was doing. I mean, I did it. To, I understand. To, to, to make his fucking. Don't day. encourage him. You know, because next thing you know, he'll be. Doing fake robberies and kidnappings, and getting arrested. Fair enough. It's 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 a, it's a gateway drug of pranks. <laughs> fake gum. <laughs> All right. So these these they'll get more notoriety. They'll they'll get bigger on YouTube, and eventually they're gonna get plugged by someone in the chest with a handgun for doing something like this because they think it's like oh. You know, we think we're kidnapping someone. They'll get shot by someone. Hopefully, that's one of the things that always Im- impresses me about this is how invincible these people are, and they don't realize that what they're doing is shit that could get them literally killed. Well, if it was in the U.S. in the U.K., no one has a handgun, I guess. So, you know, no, no one's no one's conceal and carry in the U.K., but so they're lucky there. Oh boy! <laughs> this is good uh, stuff. I don't even know why I'm letting Pat start this, but I, yeah. I don't know why. This is this is like an early. Well, I feel like I'm, it's like I'm cheating on you. I'm somehow. handing you a gift. <laughs> so, in in latest news that Zack Snyder. Maybe wasn't the best choice to run the DCE. Whoa, wait a second. What? Whoa, hold on. News to me. Okay, continue. Oh, I'm sorry. I should I should have like. Could you please? I mean, just drop a couple more bombs for me if you could. So it turns out that Warner Brothers have hired a couple of souls, John Berg and Jeff Johns, to basically run DC films, to basically have people to sort of uh, shepherd the DC film universe to make sure that hacks don't fuck it up. Right. 
Uh, Jeff Johns is huge in D.C. I mean, this is a guy who is... They're calling in big guns. They are not taking risks anymore here. They are calling in someone who is going to absolutely make sure that this does not go to hell from here on out. So this is where we're at, boys and girls. Batman v Superman, besides being critically fucking panned by everyone and making Ben Affleck sad on the internet, underperformed. I, I, I am so sad about Ben Affleck being, being sad. sad. I don't know why. He, he you know he cheated on uh, Jennifer Garner. Uh, but anyway... He's, a, he's an awful individual, but I feel sorry for him. I just, the picture, I think. I the know. picture that goes around. Professionally, I like him. Personally, I think he's, he's a jerk. Anyway, not that I personally know him, but anyway. So, it has even reached $900 million, which, by the way, Civil War uh, passed in, like, I don't know, two and a half weeks, two weeks, they passed $900 million and over a billion dollars already. <laughs> like. But, you know, we're just fanboys. We're just fanboys, and they paid off all the critics. It has absolutely nothing to do with the fact that it might be a better fucking movie. Uh, yes. Uh, or that they didn't rush headlong second movie into a fucking team-up movie uh, without establishing their new Batman. So, these guys are going to be running it the same way Marvel has uh, Kevin, Kevin uh, Feige running the Marvel side for Marvel Studios. Having someone to just say, okay, we have a vision, we have a long-term plan. Most importantly, we have comic books that we have to be faithful to to not piss off the fans of these properties that have been around for 75 fucking years. Or almost 80 years. We have to be careful about this stuff. Yeah. The point is, Warner Brothers, it's good news that they came to this decision, but it's bad that it had to be due to a monetary loss and humiliation for it to happen. They should have been smart enough to see this, smart enough to, to do this beforehand and not trust it to fucking Zack Snyder. At the hands of a man who wants to see one of their most iconic <laughs> characters get raped in the ass in prison. <laughs> because that's edgy and that's what makes comics cool to him. Sex and violence, yeah. Can we fucking banish him to a realm where, I mean, just... I, well, I, I have a feeling that after uh, Justice League Part 1, I think he's going to be fucking done. He probably, I, I doubt he won't even do Justice League Part 2. No. I think they'll do, they're going to quietly say, well, he's got other projects he's moving on to. And I have a feeling his vision for Justice League Part 1 is going to be very, very, um, how should I put it, reined in and edited. Well, yeah, because Affleck's the executive producer now. Huh? Right. So he's going to be probably a shadow directing the fucking movie. Yeah. So they're not, Zack Snyder's just going to live with it. Or else he'll be thrown off the fucking movie. Snyder's going to do the sets. Ben Affleck's going to be the one who actually does the directing because he can direct. And it helps the story be actual quality. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Where's the quote by Jeff Johns that basically throws Zack Snyder under the bus without throwing him under the bus? Because it's brilliant. He basically did as much as you can without saying, this guy's a fucking idiot. Uh, he met with a handful of journalists. And when asked about why this shakeup occurred, he said, you can connect the dots. Yep. <laughs> Um, and a common refrain from Johns, Jeff Johns, was that they aim to bring more, in quotes, hope and optimism to the DCEU. Which because is necessary. The, I because mean, there is fucking none in the Zack Snyder universe. No. Especially for a character like Superman, who is hope. That's the whole point of Superman, is hope. hope personified. Yes. Um, in hero form. And, you know, I mean, people will talk about how Oh, the Marvel movies are too happy. Yeah, Civil War wasn't particularly happy, but you need levity. We've talked about this before. You need levity in your movies somewhere. And, um, you know, I think it's very easy for someone like Jeff Johns to look at this and go, this is not what the DC universe represents. No. And, and, and Superman, 
I haven't seen Batman v Superman. Sorry, internet. And I won't. But it either. sounds like Superman doesn't want to save people until he's fucking forced to. Right. Like he's all like, did I really save people? When did, when does Superman become such a pussy that he has to find a reason to save people? Right. That's not the point of the character. Here's Jeff Johns' quote about this. Again, without throwing Zack Snyder in the bus, Jeff Johns is probably like sitting on the sideline, like, "What are you fucking doing to my these characters that everyone loves? Like, what the like Warner Bros. What the fuck are you doing?" Mm-hmm. Um, he said, uh, "I think people make a mistake when they say." Superman's not relatable because he's so powerful. I'm like, are you kidding me? He's a farm boy from Kansas who moves to the city and just wants to do the best he can with what he's got. That's the most relatable character in the world. So that's kind of taking shots at Zack Snyder. That's right. not how Zack Snyder has presented him. And Batman v Superman is not. Maybe a little bit in Man of Steel, but definitely not Batman v Superman, from what everyone says. No, and from what I've heard, basically the goal is to further remove him from the Clark Kent character, period. Unbelievable. He's already fucking shot Jimmy Olsen in the head. Spoilers, Zack Snyder. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, that not that just a metaphor for what he's doing to Superman in general? Yes. We'll take the bright-eyed, bushy-tailed Jimmy Olsen and just fucking shoot him in the head at the beginning of our movie? Just absolute abject disrespect from Zack Snyder. He's like their version of Captain America in terms of, like, humanity and being hopeful and being idealistic and Marvel's done it right you know and that's why the Marvel movies have made a jillion dollars right because they haven't straight they haven't had uh, Captain America brooding and killing people and being oh do I gotta save people's lives again nah. so please let this be a turning point for the DC universe because uh I'm I'm fucking well, tired of restating this, but I like DC Comics and I like a well, lot of their heroes. I want to see a good Batman movie. I want to see a good Superman movie, and I would love to see some good well, Justice League movies. But well, you're, you're two movies down that are already already shit. But with Justice League on the way, they're doing the reshoots uh, for Suicide Squad, and they'll probably end up doing reshoots for Wonder Woman because that looks fucking dark and gritty too. Let's just do some reshoots. I don't, you have to have, you have to have that fucking blue green aesthetic on the film. All right, we give you one more, but for Justice League, oh God, let's, let's brighten shit up. A I, little bit. I would love to see just uh, Affleck running around the set in his back bat, uh, Batman costume, actually directing, and Snyder just sitting on a <laughs> Snyder sitting on a, <laughs> Snyder sitting on a chair in the back, just like, like, mm. like he legally has to be on set because of like the Directors Guild, but he ain't doing shit. Not enough rape. <laughs> you guys are just Marvel fanboys, so. I, I This is one that, unfortunately, because I do not know enough about the games, I cannot speak a ton on. However, there was an Assassin's Creed movie that was announced, and it was quickly... And there was a trailer, and it was quickly stated that um, uh, Michael Fassbender is already working on a sequel, and that this is likely going to be a trilogy, trilogy of movies. First Tetris, then Assassin's Creed trilogy. What's interesting about the Assassin's Creed movie is that in the games you there, there in modern day there is a power there's, there's a power called the animus from what I understand that allows uh, various characters to access their ancestors and basically live out their ancestors lives uh, generally these are assassins and they go through and they they, they, they do these things and in it's the majority of the games in Assassin's Creed take place in the past as you're working on these assassinations and working through the storylines in the past. Well, it's been stated that like 70% of this movie is going to take place in modern times and 30% of it is going to take place in the past. 
In the Renaissance, right? Right. And actually, I'm not sure if this... Yes, this one is the Renaissance. Um, and I'm not sure how to feel about that. this other than I don't have any fucking vested interest in it. But it sounds like they are kind of taking the name of the game and then loosely writing something that resembles the movie uh, around it. Uh, I think there's probably something interesting to be done with the concept of this animus in the present. Uh, and by doing so, they might be able to escape some of these video game movie tropes where it's action to point, uh, basic plot point to action to basic plot point, where it's a movie trying to look like a game. This could potentially, with how they're doing it, be a um, uh, a game that influences a movie. Either way, the trailer didn't look particularly good. Um, it looked quite poor, to be honest. And coming off of the Tetris discussion that we had, why are we dumping all of our eggs into trilogies like right off the bat? And I just don't. I, don't, I have no idea why we're doing that. I mean, that seems like a lot of money to risk, especially on video game movies, which have historically not done well at all. So, what is this? Animus like has them mine the past of their ancestor it's for a, memories, and we're gonna get fucking just screwed in the comments section on this. But it's it's, it's a machine or some sort that you know it's basically like recall that harnesses you and, and 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 throws you back into your ancestors' past. The whole point is this: people don't give a shit about the fucking animus stuff when they're playing the game. They they want cool, like, oh, they're in the past, we're in the Renaissance, the American Revolution on a pirate ship. That's why they buy the games. Not so they can look at characters sitting in a fucking uh, bed hooked up to a machine. I mean, out their I mean the, the trailer was absolutely uninteresting. Uh, I mean, don't, don't take what I said wrong. I don't necessarily think that what they're doing is a good idea. I think they're doing it... I think they're trying too hard to escape uh, the whole um, video game movie stigma by trying to switch stuff around too much. There is something to be said here where you could make a pretty easy, breezy action movie where a guy goes around fucking changing the course of the Civil War uh, or, or, or anything by, you know, killing a bunch of fuckers. Um, Civil War assassin goes after Robert E. Lee. That'd be funny. But, but they're not, they're not going to do that, apparently. And, and, and on top of that, they think this is a good enough idea for three movies. Well, uh, it's 65% modern day. And the quote was... Uh, who did this quote? Was this Michael Fassbender? Uh, this isn't a video game we're making. We're trying to make a cinematic experience. Yes, you can do that, but if if most of your game takes place during the boring cutscenes, most of your movie that people don't want to see, then what's the point of doing it? Call it something else. Well, I remember yeah. asking someone because I I, I was interested in uh, playing Assassin's Creed Four, uh, Black Flag, which is the one where you play as a pirate, and the pirate side game is supposed to be a lot of fun. And I was like, how much do I need to know about the previous games to um, be able to play this? And like, oh, basically nothing. You just need to know about this animus shit that's going on in modern day real quick. And then they send you back and blah, 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 blah. And I mean, it sounds like they're putting all their eggs in a ba- into into the part of the game that matters the least. Uh, this is a real movie, real plot. This has uh, Marianne Cotillard in it. Uh, I can't remember her name. She's a big actress. Jeremy Irons is in it, too. It's coming out December 21st. One week after uh, Rogue One, which means it'll be destroyed at the box office. Box office. No one's going to see this. Of this upcoming year? Yes. Comes out December 21st. Oh, God. That's not... Okay. <laughs> that seems Well, yeah. Bad. Well, the trailer's already around. Okay. It's going to come out in six months. Seven months. Yeah. It's going to get seven months from... Yeah. Just about today. We're recording this. Uh, yeah. This will do okay, but a sequel? Yeah. Right. <laughs> and a third one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, third one. 
Pat got to start the Warner Brothers stuff, and I'm willing to start one that I think Pat would normally start because I have some, actually some pretty strong feelings on this. Uh, James Rolfe, the Angry Video Game Nerd, came out with a video um, about a week ago. May 16th, recorded on the 24th. Okay. Um, simply stated, uh, uh, you know, uh, Ghostbusters review, I won't. And in it, he goes through his reasons as to why he uh, has no interest in seeing the new Ghostbusters reboot. Um, he details all of his reasons in what I would consider an articulate manner. Um, I'm going to throw this out there very quickly. Uh, never uh, at any point is it stated that the fact that the cast is all female is uh, one of the reasons that he doesn't want to see it. Um, and he was destroyed uh, by all sorts of people and all sorts of media as um, being closed-minded, I think, uh, both sides, uh, both, you know, the, 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 the for and the, the against, the PC and the feminism and things like that, uh, tried to use James uh, to further their own agenda using this video. Um, and what it comes down to for me is, uh, A, that's horseshit. I think he had a giant target on him uh, based on the fact that he is a, a big pop culture figure, uh, what people like to refer to as a gatekeeper. And you have a pop culture gatekeeper coming out and saying firmly with his foot down uh, in a way that I think some people may have misinterpreted, uh, saying that he doesn't have any interest in it. And I, I, I have no choice but to defend this guy. I really don't see what the the problem here is. And the reason is, is I, I see quite a bit of myself in 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 the way he discusses this. Um, while I don't necessarily agree with all of his points for not wanting to see this movie, I don't believe that we need a passing of a torch. Uh, I don't necessarily believe that the CG from the original Ghostbusters holds up as well uh, as he may think, although I love well, practical, practical effects. I, I love practical Some effects. Some do. Like, no, they do. holds up. Sure, he does. And I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm just, I'm saying, I love practical effects, but that's not going to appeal to everyone. Sure. Okay. Um, but his points and his thoughts are his own points and his own thoughts. Um, this reminds me of when I refused to, to, to play DuckTales Remastered. James is looking at something, and James is going, no way am I going to enjoy this. And these are the reasons. One thing that James brings up that I love because I'm such a stickler for this sort of thing is naming conventions. And the fact that they're just calling this Ghostbusters. Call this Ghostbusters the new generation. Or call this Ghostbusters... I mean, whatever. Call this... I mean, don't don't steal the fucking name of the original movie when it has no connection. I think he makes a very good point that... If you're going to have cameos from the original characters in it, but they're not from the original movie in it, but they're not going to be cameoing their original characters, characters uh, it, it, it's it's pointless and it's stupid. So, at the end of the day, timing-wise, his video may not have been the best. But how is this any different than anyone else taking life experience, what they know they like? what they know they've seen, and let's remind people one more fucking time that a trailer's job is to de is to help you determine whether you are or are not going to see a movie. And James saw enough, and James said, no, I don't want to see it. There was nothing bratty about this. There, there, there was nothing sexist about this. There was nothing even subtly sexist about this. This is a guy 
who likes a movie maybe too much, like I like fucking DuckTales too much or other movies too much myself, and has decided that he's not going to see it. All right, before we I give my part, yes, I am friends with James. Ian uh, is his Max and Irma's partner. That's a restaurant. So we, we know James. We like James. James is a good person. Uh, he's treating me well. I respect him. He respects me. He bought me a beer when I looked really uncomfortable at MAGFest and talked to me. And honestly, to this day, he may not remember that, but that meant a shitload to me. I mean, that's neither here nor there, but he's I, a good fucking dude. I don't remember that. Regardless of that, I would say what I'm going to say regardless, whether or not of how well I know James. So people forget that there's reasons why he did this video. Uh, or they don't care, because again, people had an agenda tagging him, which we'll get into. James put out this video for a few reasons. He put out this video because he's a big fucking Ghostbusters fan. Right. He's huge. He did a video where he went around New York and videotaped, videotaped, they don't use tape anymore, but went around and went to all the spots that they filmed like parts of the film. Like he found the firehouse, he found Tower on the Green where they filmed the scene from the first movie. Uh, things like that. He, he tried to find locations. He loves this film. The same way probably that I love Back to the Future. It's the closest thing I can say. Like, if they made, remade Back to the Future, I'd feel probably the same way he feels about Ghostbusters. I don't have the connection to Ghostbusters that other people have. Right. Neither do I. I think it's a good movie. I think the sequel is average at best. That's where I disagree with James, where James thinks the sequel is good. He said I went back and watched it and it was good. I don't think the sequel is good. And I think I'm more objective than that because I don't have this nostalgic feeling for Ghostbusters. I didn't see the original Ghostbusters probably until when I was in my early 20s. I never saw it as a kid. All I saw it in my late teens. I, I was not, yeah, I was I not never, one of those. I don't remember ever being on TV as a kid. That's why. I remember Back to the Future being on TV. Sure. And Goonies or whatever. Don't remember Ghostbusters being on TV. My main Ghostbusters uh, experience was, was the excellent real Ghostbusters cartoon. That yeah. was my main experience for the most part. So he put the video out for that reason. He didn't want to deal with people asking to review the movie when it came out. That's the second reason. The third reason was he put out a, a, a very good video recently detailing this was a setup for the history of Ghostbusters 3. He put out a video detailing I, the yeah. long and tumultuous process of the, the actor saying it's going to get made next year. Bill Murray saying, I'm never going to do it. Now I am going to do it. Bill Murray's going to be a ghost in the movie. You know, back and forth. This movie's been in pre-production or, or production or for like 15 years. Back to like 2000, they were going to do a Ghostbusters 3. Then finally, they did the video game, which basically counted as Ghostbusters 3, because all the characters came back to do the voices. So that was the other reason why. So I was in Norway the last night when I saw Ghostbusters trending, trending on Twitter, number one. And I was thinking, wow, the, the new trailer must have came out. But it didn't come out. What came out was James posting a video saying, I refuse to do a review on it. And we've covered Ghostbusters, uh, the movie, on the on the podcast before. And our argument was always was that don't, don't care, don't judge it because it's a female cast. Judge it because of the writing and the quality of what you see, which we've done. And the first trailer came out, and honestly, I wasn't impressed. No. It I, pretty much met my expectations of what I thought it was going to be. It was humor based upon uh, going for one-liners and humor based upon trying to one-up each other uh, to be funny, sort of SNL writing, versus being funny because of the situation. Correct. A lot of the humor of the original Ghostbusters was these characters, especially Bill Murray's deadpan, what the fuck are these ghosts, getting into these weird situations that he was deadpanning through, mm -hmm. like getting slime, and trying to deal with the techno babble of Dan Aykroyd and Harold Ramis. And Bill Murray was sort of your conduit to that, this is ridiculous, but this is how I would react to it. That was what the humor came from. It was serious situations with these weird characters thrown into it. And from that trailer, it just looks like these over-the-top funny characters 
that that's not how the original that's not the tone of the originals were the, the, the originals could have been horror movies with different characters playing those parts and if it was written slightly differently that you could have said that could have been a horror movie that's what was so at least about the first one that I think was so unique about that movie and it, why, it wrote a very fine yes. line but definitely in the end was comedy yes but it was lightning in a bottle and the sequel was just sequelitis to me and was just okay we'll get the, we'll get the characters back for this rehash story and you know it doesn't have the magic of the original so what happened was unfortunately and it started with Patton Oswalt now there's a backstory to Patton Oswalt's wife died a few weeks ago and supposedly, in some capacity, she's involved with the with this film. I don't know if she has a cameo or if she helped write it. I don't know. It's it's sad. It's sad that someone's wife dies tragically. But Patton Oswalt really is what set this off when he tweeted uh, kind of a nasty sort of attack on James, a, a non sequitur, sequitur. And from that, it got picked up from Samantha B. and from other uh, people I saw tweet. I was like, holy shit. And, and all of a sudden, you have people writing articles about how James is a sexist uh, and how, you know, uh, he, he, he's, he represents all the misogynists and all the nerd culture. And obviously, they see James, they see a guy with glasses, and he does a character called Angry Video Game Nerd, but that's a character. Yeah. He's acting yeah. in that. That's really not how James is. James is soft-spoken. Incredibly soft-spoken. But he's very nice, and I would not call him a nerd by any means. He's got a fucking oh. heavy metal tattoo on his goddamn arm. He loves heavy metal. You know, like, he's not what you would call a nerd. But to these people, like you said, they see him, and to him he's a gatekeeper. He's a he's the biggest, uh, quote-unquote, celebrity so far who said, I'm not going to see this movie. Again, didn't state because it was women. It was because, he, we, for reasons we stated, it just didn't look interesting to him, and he loves the franchise. And so people go after him. So... What I'm going to say is this, and this goes this goes into a larger discussion about if you want to have diversity, more diversity in film, more female leads in action movies, that's fine. Um, if you want to attack people that don't agree with that, which I think is silly, which we'll get into why in a second, because there's been there's been a decent amount, not a lot, but a decent amount of movies with female action leads that have done well in the past 15 years, which we'll get into. Some not so much. Go after the people that actually you should go after. And don't cherry-pick someone to sort of push and move your agenda along, thinking that, here's the biggest target, let's go after him. Patton Oswalt even said that, I picked the wrong target. Didn't apologize, which he probably should have, but said, I picked the wrong target. Yeah, because it's not James. It, 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 it's, it's unfortunately now, you have... You have both sides. You have the the ultra hardcore feminists who are attacking James and saying that it's sexist, but you also have the complete opposite side that is trying to use them as as a banner. But he's not the one. I mean, he's so he's so far out of the loop on this shit that he shouldn't have ever been brought up in in, in these terms. Sure. And then you have to deal with articles like uh, Devin Faraci wrote an article, and he's on one of these fucking film sites. I don't want to promote. Uh, but he his article this makes me sick to my stomach, uh, entitled "The Soft Sexism of Hating on the uh, on the New Ghostbusters." You don't have to be sexist to, to to dislike the movie, but it helps and basically just rips into James in this article as the the, the model of here's a guy who's who's not really he doesn't think he's a sexist but really is the quote unquote soft sexism. Um, this is what I'm going to say to that, uh, uh, Mr. Faraci. You make me sick. If I ever meet you, I'll say that to your face. Um, if you want to go after someone who says, I don't want to see this movie because it's women, and 
it looks like there's abject sexism, that's fine. Uh, but when you get into this whole weird realm of, I'm going to say what you really are, even though you didn't say it, or I know what you're thinking, even though you may or not be thinking of it, that's fucking scary. Yeah. And that's where we're at, though, unfortunately. Where it's this really weird Orwellian reality where you not only have to watch what you say, you have to watch what might people might perceive you to be thinking, even though you're not saying it. And that's fu- that fucking scares me. And it's unfortunate that someone like James got caught up in that mindset where he became a, a lightning rod. Uh, you said both sides. I, well, I'm sure people defended him, but people smeared him online. People fucking straight out smeared him and straight out fucking libeled him online. Oh, no, there's plenty of people who defended him, too, but I'm just saying most of it was smearing. Um, yeah. The people who defended him, unfortunately, were not... Uh, a the right type of people who would do would whose defense would be any good, or sure. or they weren't big enough. Um, what what bothers me so much about that article is this complete disconnect and inability to realize that th- so much shit has been whipped up over this movie because of female leads on both sides, people going at it that it's been completely forgotten that someone might just really care about a movie franchise and not like the direction it went in. Sure. My biggest my biggest pet peeve originally was that it wasn't a sequel. And I, and I figured if you're going to do this properly, and this is one of the things that James says, if you're going to do this properly, you have to at least connect it. You have to give the original fans a reason to go see it. So put cameos in, or at least have it in the same universe. Sure. To pass the torch. At least do that. I don't, I don't know that there needs to be a whole origin story to the new team, but put it in the same universe. Same universe. Yes. Acknowledge it. Because now when you see that they're in a firehouse again, they have the same hearse, they have almost the same outfits, they have the same dynamic of the four characters. When you, when you do reboots, usually when you do reboots, it has to happen... Traditionally, reboots happen when it's been so far in the past that the generation before doesn't know about it or care about it. Or the previous movies were fucked up so badly that you have to redo it. Right. For example, the new Spider-Man is going to come out because the last one's underperformed and Marvel wants to do it. With Ghostbusters, there was no reason to reboot it. No. You either do a, a soft sequel or you just keep it in the same universe and that's what people... That's what everyone wanted. This isn't what people wanted. That's why people are upset about this first and foremost, in my opinion. The, the, the female characters is secondary to the fact that this is not what people wanted for their franchise. That's just the bottom line. So what you come down to is when you, when you, when you throw someone... The people that attack James were the worst enemy in this case because they're attacking someone that probably they agree with them, well, this isn't my Ghostbusters, I'm not, I don't want to see this. You're attacking someone who represents their views, and now you're seeing him being smeared unnecessarily. You're going to see the movie, you're not, not only if you're on the, if you were on, like me, who was on the fence, you're not going to see it now, you're not going to give a shit about it now, and now you're going to revel in its failure. Because, bef- because people on the fence like me see something like this, that before you thought the movie was going to fail or now, but now you're going to enjoy it because these people are going to be taken down a peg. After this, well, so they're their own worst fucking enemy, and getting and getting this being a success, which is unfortunate because you can do good action comedies. I know it's possible with female leads, but after this fails, it's going to be far less likely for, likely for them to be greenlit in the future. So they worked against their own their own goals here. Right. It was it was a bridge too far. Well, and the other thing was I, I did see people picking fights with James on this, who uh, fully admitted that the movie looked like crap and they had no interest in seeing it. So. What are you disagreeing with him for? 
This is going to come out underperform. Uh, you're not going to hear of a sequel. Uh, you'll you'll probably think of it. They'll probably reboot it or do a mail cast or something in five years, and you'll see it. You'll see it come out then. Who the fuck knows what's going to happen at that point? Or they'll just can it entirely. That's what's going to happen. Uh, because it's just a weird situation. It's really weird. I feel bad for James uh, about it, but honestly, he probably doesn't give a shit that much, and nor should he. No, he probably doesn't. Because it's just the uh, the absolute last guy that I wanted to see something like that happen to. And it's funny because uh, they they totally piggybacked off it because the next day after this video came out, they released the second trailer, which yeah. was an improvement, but it still doesn't mean it's going to be a good movie. You know, because it. the word on the street is, and it's not even that, it's not even really alleged or really rumor is that. Uh, there was strife on the set of this movie mm-hmm. that the stars uh, had these this weird sort of wanting to get just as many funny lines as you did, and which is never what you want to hear for a comedy. So nothing organic because, about this because whatsoever. comedy is all about chemistry and being organic and having a straight men for some jokes versus others. And when you fight for number of jokes, it does become a bad SNL sketch at that point. So you hear you hear those rumors. Which it sounds like even the director I hear it's not even here. I mean, it happened. He 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 lashed out on people on tw- at Twitter at some point, um, and then Melissa McCarthy behind the scenes reportedly was very upset about how the movie went, and she was supposedly was a very big uh, big fan of the cartoon series and really wanted it to be a success, and supposedly is was not happy about how the movie w- went along. So when you have the stars not happy about it, it doesn't bode well, unfortunately. Um, so we're gonna see what happens here, but again. I didn't touch on it. I just want to say this real quick about about people being against female action stars. There's been very successful uh, movies with female action stars the past 15 years. You, you're up to the fucking sixth or seventh Resident Evil movie coming out, for God's sake, with a female lead. Angelina Jolie was probably, arguably, the, the top three biggest action stars for like a six, seven year span in the early 2000s. Tons of action movies. Some of them I thought weren't that good. I thought Salt was terrible. Bad, bad plot, but you know what? She was a variable action star. So I don't think men are against female action stars. It just has to be the right story. And for this, this is sort of the the weirdest situation you could have gotten, I think, to, to make it a, a all-female cast over a pre-existing property that people were already touchy about and waiting for a sequel to come out for the last 15 years and being and having their, their uh, hopes dashed entirely by not having the original cast back. So, so for a situation like this, I don't think you could have picked a worse project uh, to, to try to do this with. That's just my opinion, and that, I think, feeds into it. It's time now for your Q&A. It's not time for the, the Star Trek Beyond trailer? No. <laughs> it's not. I'm not reprising my Vroom Vroom, and I haven't watched the trailer. So, Q&A time. This is from GamingNorth.com. Uh, similar to the crash of 1983 with the lack of regulation on mobile cellular gaming, will it happen again? That okay. That's like saying that people will stop buying cell phones to play video games on them. It's a weird question, just because uh, for video games in 1983 with consoles, that was the only way these people were playing video games. So not many people own computers in '83 still. So you had an Atari or your television or ColecoVision. That's how you played games. So when you see lots of bad games on there, there wasn't like an alternative you could have went to besides console to console. But it's like the vast majority of Atari games coming out at that point were shit. You know, it's not right. like it's like you're going to go out and buy a Vectrix out of nowhere. With mobile games, there could be shitty mobile games, but there's tons of mobile games that are fine, I'm sure. You just got to find them. 
the popularity bleeds to the top with the star rating. So you kind of know what's good and what's bad. With those video games, you had no idea. Sure. What was good and what was bad. That was part of the problem. And the more popular ones that you thought were popular, like Pac-Man and E.T., turned were, out were, to be were garbage. So it was actually like a, like a Trojan horse. And plus, phones don't exist just for video games. So if you don't, if I don't play a video game ever again on my phone, maybe my toilet trips will be less entertaining, but I'd be fine. Right. It, you know. I, I just look at it just from a slightly different perspective. I mean... There could there be a mobile game crash? Yeah, I think at some point people are going to get sick of the ever-increasing pay-to-win nature of these games where there is no real gameplay other than pressing the buy button. And we may see that that model fall apart at some point, and we may see a return to, like, when I got my first iPhone, which was a few generations in. I think it was a 4. Um, but, you know, you could still buy games outright. I can, if I go back and try to get some of those games again and re-download them to my new phone, that fully paid version is gone. If I don't have the computer that I synced it up to, it's gone, and my only choice is to get Swords and Poker, the free-to-play version. Swords and Poker? It was a lot of fun. Um, but now I can't... I, but the version that I paid two ninety nine for that was a complete experience is no longer there. And I think eventually people are going to get pissed at that, and we might start seeing a lot more games that you can just buy outright again. Sure, but... It's a difference between getting pissed at a two dollar game versus a sixty dollar game you can't play anymore. No, but 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 also I'm just saying that you know these sorts of things will eventually annoy people, but it's not going to affect the greater video game market in any way. No, shape, because or it's form. segmented. Yeah, because I we always said that you know people said well with mobile gaming you know Nintendo's handheld market will go away. So no, it won't because you can't do certain games on mobile phones. You never will. Right. You never be able to do a good platformer game on a phone. Yes, bring up that one example, but I don't know what the hell it is. You never be able to do shooters effectively on a phone. You know, the only the only games you can do effectively on a phone are ones that don't require a lot of fast movement because you don't have the controller. RPGs work, and actually, I found like shooter shooters strategies. Shooter games? shooters actually work pretty well because of one to one movement. Um, okay, strategy games. But are strategy good. games are good. You can't do platforming. You can't do fighting. You can't do Metal Slug. You can't do Mega Man. I mean, they sure as hell have fucking tried, but yeah, I mean, good luck playing that. It's like greasing your hands up and you know and holding the controller backwards. You're just never gonna. It's 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 no fun. Even if you can tell me that you got good enough at it to beat Mega Man two on your phone, try to explain to me that it was a better experience than playing it on a Nintendo. Yeah, when your fingers covering half the screen when you're playing. Right. This portion of the CU Podcast is sponsored by the LaunchBox Games Database, an online database for managing your retro games collection. It's free and community moderated, so check it out at gamesdb.launchbox-app.com. At regular Nintendo. Hey, Alan. Hello. Besides Virtual Boy and TurboGrafx, what do you think is the easiest system to collect for? Price slash rarity slash number of games to collect. Whoa, Alan, you think Turbo yeah, is easy say, to collect I, for? I was going to say, Alan, you're, you're nuts on the Turbo It graphics. was five years ago when I finished my collection. I mean, 90-something games is small, but let's... I mean, cost is insane. Um, I think the easiest one to collect for would probably be um, Black and White Game Boy... Uh, Game Boy Color, if you want to include it. The original run Game Boy games, especially if you're not concerned about complete. You can't be concerned about complete because it just doesn't really exist. Um, but, you mean complete in box games? Yeah, complete in box. Yeah, but, uh, I mean, most of those games are very, very cheap. The expensive ones, like uh, Mega Man 5, still are... Uh, just about a hundred. I mean, we're not talking a lot. Your holy grail is something like Shantae, which at this point probably is about six hundred or something like that. If I just had to wager a guess, it's constantly jumped higher and higher. But there's not a lot of like, 
there's not a lot of grails that you're going to have to dump there's, a lot of money into to complete your set. But yeah, but you can still get most of the games at a reasonable price. Like most games are like two to three dollars. Two, three, five, ten. I mean, you're not looking at a lot here. Um, you know, certain things like uh, um, Ninja Gaiden Shadow or Fish Dude or something like that can be more expensive. But yeah, we're not talking. I mean, the expensive games aren't more than the ones that most people consider expensive aren't more than like forty to fifty. You know, the ones over a hundred number in probably a handful. What Tail of the Gator or whatever, or the Potato Game. Uh, yeah, I, I, I mean, I don't even know. I have most of the black and white Game Boy games I want, and none of them are the expensive ones. Sure. Rampart, you got to watch out for that one. Remember that one? Yes, I price? do that, that. I think it went back down though <laughs> after that experiment. Well, the uh, the James and Mike tax on a uh, Sky Kid is already falling too. Oh, is it the, the tax? A, James and Mike tax? On it, the, it's a twenty five dollar well, game. Hopefully, now. they don't start doing Game Boy games. You might be upset with them. Yeah, complete your collection now. How about um, uh, oh Atari twenty six hundred still easy and cheap? Sure. Absolutely. I mean, you can get, what is there, 500 games in the system, something like that, and you can get 400 of them for, like, less than five bucks. You know, like, yeah. They're, they're, I'm not sure how many are fun, but you can, you can get a lot of them cheap, even the more popular ones like Pitfall. Well, a lot of people, like my, my buddy Jeremy, um, I, one of our advertisers, Gary, uh, he's a 2600 collector. Um, and then a lot of these kids who are, like, 15, 16 who come in the store, they love collecting for Atari. Why? It's cheap, it's quick, fun. I mean, it costs less than a fucking Gatorade, you know, for most of these games. You know, less than a, 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 a like a, a candy bar. I mean, it, it's just it's uh, easy. What is there any others? Those are like the ones that pop out at you that are that are easy to collect for. Yeah, you, you would even say, well, I guess Intel Intellivision is even cheaper than Atari. If you find the games, you can get complete box Intellivision games for like a dollar. No one cares about the collecting for Intellivision, right? Odyssey two, to a lesser extent, I think those are more desirable slightly because they're kind of goofier. In television, and they're probably a little more fun, I, at least because it's a little bit eh, notoriety. But that's pretty cheap to collect for. Yeah. Odyssey too. But again, you got to go to like you know the, the early '80s era uh, for stuff like that. Once you hit the '90s, uh, Game Gear, Game Gear would be easy. Game Gear. I mean, we are looking cheap. at mostly we are looking at mostly portables here. I mean, no doubt. But Links is cheap. Yeah, Links is. There's real only. Cheap. Two or three really hard to find links games. I think like super off roads hard to find. Yeah, I Other, think you can still find like sealed links games for next to nothing. Yes, they're still new old stock. You can get probably forty of the links games. I think it's like more than half the library for like five dollars each. Mm-hmm. Sealed. Other than that, I mean, hey, you want to collect old PC games, CD-ROM titles? Those are cheap. You know, you can do that. Most of those are cheap. Actually, some of them are worth money now, but you know, for the most part, uh, you know. So there you go. Start your Game Gear, Game Boy. And television, Odyssey 2, Atari 2600 collection. And Master System? Eh, some games are still cheap. That's gone up. That's the Pat, the Pat the Aeneas Punk effect. On that. <laughs> the Pat the Aeneas Punk tax on that. Uh, At Insert Coin News asked, Do you think rates of mental illness in the retro gaming community are higher than other hobbies? If so, why? I, I'm going to take this out of the retro gaming community and just look at gaming in general. Um, I think mental illness in gaming is something that is more apparent uh, perhaps than in other hobbies because gaming for the longest time was seen as a solitary uh, a hobby. Um, it's escapism. Um, it's a way that people cope with uh, depression, um, with things like 
I hate to bring it up, but with things like Columbine, uh, they they try to link video games, and then you know it becomes a, a talk about mental illness. I believe mental illness is brought up when it comes to stories about gaming and things like that a lot more often. Um, to be specific, in the retro community, Pat and I have actually talked about this more. The more of a collector you are, the more it is possible that, yes, you are suffering from some form of OCD or something like that, depending on how crazy you are about your labels in your collection and things like that. Um, but I think it's the general stigma of gaming in general that brings mental illness or discussions of mental illness within the gaming community more to the forefront. And I also think because of that, it is often talked about more in the gaming community. I have never shied away from talking about it, about my battles with it, um, about my thoughts on, on, on other people who have, who have suffered from it. Um, and I find a lot of people like that too. There is a good support network within the gaming community for it because I think it's so... I, I, the word I'm looking for is not apparent, but because it, it, it just it is discussed. It is more to the forefront. Do I think it's at a higher rate than other hobbies. No, I, I absolutely don't. I think the problem is, is obviously there is still a huge stigma associated with mental illness and in a hobby such as perhaps muscle car collecting or sports car collecting or something like that, it may not be something that is talked about as openly or is focused on as openly because it's harder to connect stories about a sports card collector to something that may relate to mental illness. I really don't think... You have to understand... People need to understand mental illness is a real thing, a real problem, and it affects millions of people. There's no way that it's just magically all concentrated into gaming. I think it's just more visible in gaming. Um, due to various reasons. I think one of the... There could be uh, extenuating circumstances to people that maybe gravitate towards gaming in general. They, they, may, they may have social anxiety, so it's sort of the insular feeling. Well, that's why I say it's used as an escape, but yeah. I, I just... Um, other hobbies, you talk about you know uh, putting together muscle cars or Sports, a lot of those at least on the, on the for, for, forefront uh, have more social interaction out and about with people. Sure, and you can say yes, you can you socially interact online. It's not the same. No, but that, this is what I'm same. saying. Like just like with video games, it, it's sort of a more obvious avenue to be like video games have more mental illness because of oh, no, no. these things. I, no, I don't think it has more, but I think it, it could be it, it could be the home easier. I think it'd be an easier home because because of. of to, to be a gamer, you don't have to. You don't have to leave your room. You can just live in your sure. room. You can just live online. Uh, and there are people that they're they're already they're they're already putting in DSM like mental illness for people that are always online can't get offline. Nah. And gaming does not. Gaming feeds into that, unfortunately. Um, I, I will I will say this about it. I, I think uh, you have to dis. I, I'll, you have to separate out collecting versus I think gaming in general. Yes. We talked about, like I said before, like you said, like OCD with collecting, um, or people that have maybe superiority complex in the collecting world, and they do it, you know, narcissism, narcissism about collecting, you know, elitism versus just game playing. So no, it's not horrible. Like I said, I, I think it can be easier to collect it in a nice, 
neat package. Yeah, I guess that's, those are the words I'm looking for. It's an easy target because of certain behaviors that are involved with gaming that can be associated with mental illness. But when you just look at the number of mental illness cases diagnosed, I highly doubt that that if the number is higher, it's not statistically significant. Sure. Uh, at my games nineteen, Sega basically legitimizing ROM hacking via Genesis Hub Steam Workshop. What? I'm not actually sure what the question here is, but I do think this is very cool. So, there's a Genesis Hub on where you can purchase uh, Genesis games uh, to, to play. And basically, Sega has legitimized the hacking of these ROMs for weird and unique purposes. <laughs> um, for instance, one of the big ones that, uh, that, that kind of broke the news was is uh, someone took Streets of Rage 2 and hacked it so that it's the exact same game, but every time an enemy dies, it's Tim Allen screaming. <laughs> um, and so what they're doing is they're encouraging people, which I think is great, to rip apart these games and and change things. Um, you know, to you know, you can increase speed, difficulty, lower difficulty. You've got people who can do whatever the heck they want echo, with these. Echo huh? the dolphin with checkpoints. Yeah. Exactly. So, you know, people can fix perceived problems or make things more challenging. And to see a company, and you can't charge for these. These are things that you you then download and modify what you've already purchased with. But this is this is incredible seeing a company ask you to fuck with their own games for your own pleasure, legitimately, not not in a gray area like people do when they when they mess around with Mario Brothers games or things like this. This is Sega saying, yeah, it's okay to go ahead and do this. And I think that's very forward thinking. Alien Soldier, original 60 uh, megahertz uh, Japanese version, replaces the 50 hertz optimized European version, or 50 frames, of Alien Soldier with the only version people should be playing. Yeah. Uh, Huh. Fantasy Star, to improvement. Relatively humble mod that fixes just about every single bug in the game. Marked improvements. Walking speeds doubled. So, Ristar Japanese version. Really cool. Shinobi 3 enhanced. Sonic 3 complete. Shining Force uh, Steam Edition. Yeah, the Sonic 3 complete is really cool. There's a lot Com- of neat stuff in that one. Comic Zone fixed difficulty and uncensored. I didn't know it was censored. There's over 300 of these uh, uploaded. So, I guess what? Well, you have to buy the game first. Buy the game, and then and your mods are available. You can just download them. Yeah, exactly. Not a bad idea, Sega. No, that that's gonna breed that that that's just nothing but breeding goodwill. I don't see Nintendo ever doing this, but good on you, Sega. What, what would you fix in a Sega Genesis game, Ian, if you had a chance? Well, I, I mean, the one thing I, I I've always missed about the 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 uh, it's not really a fix because you can just play the Japanese version, but um, the U.S. version of Streets of Rage three they ratcheted up the difficulty to an insane level, uh, much higher than the Japanese version. Well, it's just, it's so weird because, you know, we get RPGs that were dumbed down from Japan because we weren't smart enough to play them, yet we get the, like, heavily increased difficulty versions of beat-em-ups because, I don't know, we're expecting our quarters to get munched. Double Dragon 3 is very hard. Ninja Gaiden 3 is impossible. Yeah, it's it's kind of crazy. So my computer shut down again, so you're going to have to read the next question. (laughs) There's a Sonic uh, 3 Complete that does uh, tweaks, improvements, bug fixes, and options for... Uh, I can't see that. Optional music based upon the original PC version. That's pretty cool. They yeah. changed out the music tracks. Maybe someone could hack and do a CU podcast, uh, Streets of Rage. Put me, <laughs> put me and Ian and Danny Sullivan as the main characters. Huh? Make it happen, folks. All right. At 
Niemla. Hey, Karen. Hi. One of the contributors to Ultimate Nintendo, Guide to the NES Library. Available at ultimatenes.com. Uh, Classic Game Room says he wants to quit YouTube because of commenters. And she added the tweet. Uh, basically, where Mark Bussler from Classic Game Room, who has been doing videos forever, we talked about it before in the podcast, where he was going to quit. He was going to quit doing videos, and then uh, a week later did a Patreon, and is now making 10000 a month off of uh, pages on there. So he basically responded to a, a tweet from someone named Face Destroyer Inc., who was criticizing... Uh, the channel saying it's been r- running out of fuel and coasting. Uh, I know I'm not the only one seeing this, seeing how this channel was almost half a million subscribers and lately has been pulling in about 10,000 views per video. The, this guy brings in almost $10,000 a month from Patreon to essentially make the same boring review over and over again. And when he's not doing that, he's spamming YouTube with, I won't say the rest of it. Okay. So he's basically criticizing about the Patreon amount. So Mark responded on Twitter saying, more kind words from the YouTube community. Thank you. Classic Game Room, Game Room will continue, but perhaps not much longer on YouTube. Implication being that I guess he doesn't like the comments and is going to leave YouTube. Uh, Jesus. Um, so, I know a lot of people were a little... Um, there was, a, there was a, big, a pretty big split in a lot of people. I think Pat and I were... I mean, it wasn't a big disagreement here, but when he originally um, said he was done... And then went to Patreon a week later. Uh, yeah, it could have been to drum up some attention, but I also didn't necessarily fault the guy for perhaps wanting to leave YouTube and try a different funding method. Which he had done before, by the way. He tried before. Okay. Uh, with this, uh, a couple of things to say. Uh, you're crying wolf, I feel like, again. And once again, this is, uh, this is drumming up attention to, to, to you and to your, your site. But my bigger problem here is, you've been doing this forever. And I just feel like you need to have a thicker damn skin than this. I mean, this isn't even a particularly vicious comment. I, I can pull ten fucking comments out of the past podcast week that are far more vicious than this towards me. Um, I don't understand. I mean, this is the one that you picked. I, I just yeah, he, I, he tweeted this one out. Yeah. No, I know it is. I know. I just don't understand exactly what where the where the hurt is coming from here. This has always been part of the business. And if people are feel like your channel is no longer interesting to them. I, I don't uh, agree with some of this guy's choice of words and how he phrased it, but uh, it's a valid complaint. And I'm, I'm going to be honest, I used to love classic game room stuff. I don't watch a lot of YouTube, but when it would pop up, I'd click and watch it. I don't see it pop up anymore, so I don't watch it. That It's as simple as that. It, 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 wasn't, it, wasn't, it wasn't personal. But, um, I mean, people are allowed to dissent. And if you do have a, a significant Patreon, there is going to be a... a um, Oh, I, I'm losing my words. There is going to be an expectation that you're going to put out better content, and you're going to revitalize your enthusiasm in your content. Mark's always been about business. Uh, Mark, way back when, he's got multiple channels. He he had a, um, and this isn't saying it's good or bad, but he 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 created his own MCN way back sure. when people started doing that for his own channels, which is fine. Um. But then when the kerfuffle happened in late 2013, when the MCNs no longer had that sweetheart protection from copyright strikes and claims, Mark was one of the first ones to say, 
Uh, YouTube's getting scary with the revenue and the copyright stuff, so I'm going to leave it. And he left it for a while. I think he posted his videos, I believe, on one of those ones, like Daily Motion. he tried to do for a while. And he tried to do alternate avenue streams, and he, he posted his stuff on just on basically most of He posted like 90% of his stuff just on uh, his website via, you know, I think, like Daily Motion or something. Uh, for like about six months before deciding, well, I better go back to YouTube. That's where the revenue is. So he came back. So Mark's been always savvy about this stuff. And then when we reported he was quitting, I thought he was really going to quit. Right. Uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying he was being deceptive, but a week later he does his Patreon and he gets 10000 a month. Either way, whether he intended to or not, whether or not he planned to or not, he got a lot of uh, sympathy and he got a lot of attention and he had a great Patreon. So that said... If you're making that much money in, uh, every month, you have to just grin and bear it and take the heat. Yeah. I think you have to. I think you owe it to your fans. Uh, you two are not just take it. Well, I mean, the old saying goes, if you can't take the heat, get out of the kitchen. And, I mean, it's really, I just, comments, Jesus Christ, shitty comments are just part of life when you're on YouTube. It's part of it. And if you're getting, <laughs> it goes to, like, if you're making a ton of money, like I said, like, okay, What's the cost of giving up your uh, your privacy? Uh, well, if you're a Hollywood star, people are going to be taking shots at you or hating you. That's the price. Yeah. I'm not saying being a person on YouTube uh, is akin to being a movie star, but there's pros and cons to getting it. Your livelihood, you are privileged. We are privileged. You are privileged to do videos about video games and putting them online and getting paid thousands and thousands a month. In your case, 10000 a month plus whatever revenue from your merchandise, plus whatever revenue uh, from YouTube, you are you are so privileged to do that that I think the the slight negatives of dealing with bullshit comments, you have to take it. Yeah, this is not going to be and, roses. And if you don't like them, just fucking ban them then. Or turn off comments then, and that's it, and be done with it. Yeah, and I mean, you can't please everyone, and there's the old saying, and granted this is not so much a, a channel that does opinion and stuff like that, but uh, if you're making everyone happy, you're probably doing something wrong. I mean, you got to look at things from a couple different angles. This is not the end of the world. Sure. At James Ronovic, what are your thoughts on Disney Infinity shutting down, and will there be a price drop for people new to the series? My thoughts on Disney Infinity shutting down are, are, are and Disney in general uh, no longer publishing um, are fairly negative just because about 300 people lost their jobs. And, and that's never good. Um, I kind of was worried or curious because they've been a company that every year has put out a new Disney Infinity 1.0, 2.0, 3.0, 4.0. And they said that they weren't going to do a 4.0 this year, but instead they wanted to uh, support all their fans, you know, who had purchased up to 3.0. It just seemed a little odd to me. And then comes the news that, you know, it's being shut down. Um, so I know I don't think it's particularly great. I do think some licenses that they own could potentially get back into the right hands and we could see interesting things done with those licenses. But for the people who lost their jobs, uh, that's, that's never something I want to read. Hopefully they all land on their feet. Um, will there be price drops for people new to the series? Uh, I think that's really going to depend. The, there are diehards uh, for, for this game. And I can tell you that since... I was expecting something different. I'm not going to say I predicted this. I was expecting a bunch of people trying to sell off their Disney Infinity toys, discs, etc., etc. 
if you don't know what Disney Infinity is, it's um, another one of those Skylanders type games where you or Lego Dimensions where you get a portal and you get the toys and it adds to the sure. to the to the game. Is there a chip in it or something? Yeah. And uh, Disney said they closed it down because they saw no more room for growth in the toys to life market. Um, but I've had the exact opposite. People have actually not been trying to sell these things off. Uh, people have been calling me uh, a couple times a day looking for them. I think what we're going to find is a lot of people trying to get these late release uh, Disney Infinity. Because there, there are still, I believe, two more toy packs to come out that they are going to support. And I think a lot of these people are going to be looking for these late release ones. And I think not so much a price drop. I think this now suddenly finite supply of toys for hard... You have to remember, this is Disney. There's hardcore fans. This isn't just like a Skylanders thing that could be forgotten in 15 years. This is Disney. This is going to, I think, perhaps... just based on the little bit of interaction I've had with fans of the series, there could become a collector's market for this, and that never leads to price drops. So they're also shutting down... So they're shutting this down. They're also shutting down their their in-house game development. That's what I said. uh, Publishing, in-house, everything is done. So what they're going to do is just... I I guess they don't want to bring on the extra costs and risk of doing it themselves or just licensing shit out to people. Yeah, from now on. Just license out your game ideas to people. Which is no risk. Okay, you're going to pay us to make make the game with our characters or our toys. That's fine, but uh, it's just disappointing that they wouldn't just have someone else do the Infinity stuff instead of that. Like, have just someone another company do it. And they take the risk of producing it and, and distributing it, and, and just you know what I mean. Like, why just do that then? If people still want it, right? If it's still profitable, why get up entirely? Then they they, they do they do Star Wars ones and Marvel ones too. Yeah, yeah. They, everything that fell under the Disney line came came into there. It's really strange. Maybe they feel like it's coming to it. Maybe they feel like... Uh, no, that's exactly what they said. They said that they stuff. no longer see any more growth in the toys-to-life market. That's a shame. Do you think then to have some... Maybe, well, maybe someone else will pick it up and say, hey, we'll take the risk, we'll do it, and they give it to someone else. You know, I, I, I have no dog in that race, but it's, it's always said we have people who lose their jobs, obviously. But things come to an end eventually, except for life. No, life does too. That's right. Mm-hmm. As is the podcast, which we have one more question. There you go. At KleptoKelp... Why do people think that you necessarily have to watch a movie before you can decide if it's good or not? Wow, um, that hasn't come up lately at all. No, I, I mean we've we've all we, Pat and I have both touched upon this, but it was nice to have an opportunity here to kind of bring this all together in one topic. Uh, you absolutely do not have to watch a movie before you can decide if it's good or not for you. Uh, you do not have to read a book. To decide that it's something that you're going to enjoy. And you do not have to taste food or a sandwich before you decide it's something that you want to eat. Trailers exist to get you interested in a movie. If a trailer does not look good to you, it is safe to say, maybe I can save my money and not go see this. Where I think this, it's the same thing. Hey, this restaurant makes this great grilled cheese and onion sandwich. It's awesome. No, I don't want to try that. Why not? I don't like onions. Okay, fair enough. But to these people, it's not. And I think the problem stems from a little bit of fanboyism. None of these people, and I'm and I'm I'm going to say 100% confidently, none of these people have gone and seen every movie that they think a trailer looks like shit for. They haven't. They have done what 
all consumers have done who have had past experience with certain movie types, certain actors, certain directors. Genres. Genres in general. They have seen something and gone, this does not interest me. To the people who told me that I needed to watch Batman vs. Superman before I judged it, uh, do you watch in every single rom-com before you decide if this is a movie you like? Do you even go see, say you're a fan of Fantastic Four, which uh, looked bad to everyone? Uh, did you go see that before you made uh, an assumption? No. You? you have made judgments based on your past knowledge plenty of times. You did not go in, you have never gone into a record store and picked up a country music CD and gone, you know what? I've never fucking liked country music, but I can't judge this one because I haven't heard it. No. Fucking bullshit. This comes from people who have already bought into the idea that this is a movie they're going to like. Mm -hmm. And you know what? To a degree, I've done that. There are things that, like, say, a new Ultraman series, where I'm going to go, you know what? I'm probably going to like this. I'm going to watch it. But I'm not going to try to convince my friend who's never fucking liked a Japanese tokusatsu show to fucking try to watch this Ultraman with me. He's going to fucking hate it. But these people desperately feel the need to have their like validated by everyone that they cannot just enjoy something on their own. Everyone else has to enjoy it too. And it's fucking ridiculous. No. At, no. Just flat out no. You do not have to go see a movie before you judge it. I did not like Zack Snyder. I did not like the movies I saw by him prior to, to Batman vs. Superman. I did not like the direction it looked like it was taking in the trailer. Therefore, I did not need to see that movie to determine it was not the movie for me. It's not like we have unlimited time and money to sample every consumer good or product. Right. Or media out there to begin with. There's a reason, like you said, advertising exists and marketing ex exists. And past experience exists. Yeah. Otherwise, we'd constantly be in the movie theater looking for every movie. Oh, my God. Is this going to be good? Is this going to be good? We have limited time. We have judgments. We have values that we put into what we like in we our lives. We have resources. Yes. We would go nuts not knowing... When we look at NES Library, you know, I know, based upon past experience, I'm probably not going to like Last Action Hero. You know? Based but you got to play it. You got you, you got to play it to know. Well I, well, I did for a certain NES guidebook. Oh, my God. Fuck, that's twice you, in like 10 minutes. You walked into that one, Ian. Um, but you can't go through life, like you said, having to be validated for everything you like. Right. You have to have some self-confidence that, hey, I'm, I like something. Doesn't mean everyone else has to like it, too. Doesn't mean it's shit. It's just different preferences. Not everyone likes sushi. I think you're insane if you don't like sushi. But not, yeah, not, I everyone, do. <laughs> not everyone likes sushi. But you know what? That's You're not insane. You just, you know, maybe you just shy away from it. Or maybe you had a bad experience with it. Or maybe you don't think you're going to like it. I can't force you to. But that doesn't mean I think sushi sucks is because you don't like it. Right. So think of that with food. You know people doesn't like certain types of candy or chocolate, but you do. You don't think you don't think lesser on the stuff you like because someone else doesn't like your candy. You know? Yeah. If, if someone else doesn't like pop rocks, all of a sudden you don't think pop rocks is crap. I mean, you know? I, I agree that people should try things once, but this is not what I think this this comes down to. If you, a movie, okay. A movie's not food. No. Because if a movie was food, you can take a small sample for, for th watch it for 10 seconds and decide if you like it uh, right. or not. Right. Which is what, what a trailer, trailer is. is. <laughs> See, people, we got you in a loop. Yeah. A logic loop. So, I, I don't know. I, I mean, I constantly, during the whole Batman vs. Superman thing, I use this analogy. 
if you've gone to a restaurant because your friends really like this restaurant and you've gone to this restaurant three times and all three times you've been unsatisfied with your food, but your friend really wants you to go to this restaurant, your friend loves this restaurant, at some point you got to stop trying to validate your friend and your friend has to stop trying to validate their love of this restaurant. Why would you go back for a fourth serving of something you know you don't like, even if it's a new dish? It'd be like if the chef made you four dishes, they all were shit. Ah, but here's a new dish. It's slightly different. It's garnished differently. No. No, you're an awful chef. And that's what Zack Snyder is, an awful chef. (laughs) Right? Does that that make sense? Yeah, it does. That's that's the analogy I used. Uh, That's it for this episode of the CU Podcast. We have a Patreon for the podcast. It's patreon.com slash pixel sickle. You can watch... uh, you can watch the podcast and its video entirety. Ian's getting ready to go. No, no, I got a pain. Oh, you're here from listening to me? Um, also, if you want to advertise, be a sponsor of the CU Podcast, or just advertise, it's send an email to cupodcast at thepunkeffect.com, and we can talk it out. We can do some arm twisting and cajoling, and maybe you want to come on board and help us out here. Help keep the lights on, help keep the game stocked, and whatever else. Help me get a new laptop since this one's dying. Yeah, uh, apparently I need one now, too. <laughs> yeah, well, yours is only like six months old, but you need one. Um, so anyway, so for, for Ian Ferguson, I won't be in Scandinavia again until next year. And uh, I'm, I'm going to be at work tomorrow because that's what I do. <laughs> Which is Ian's own Scandinavia, I guess. It's home away from home. Yeah. And uh, anything else going on? No. Time, time. Oh, make sure you uh, subscribe to us. If, well, if you're listening, you probably are, but... Podbean, see you podcast. We're on there, and uh, Stitcher and iTunes, and yeah. <laughs> I think, I think it's bedtime for Bonzo. We're, we're fizzling out on this one. <laughs> we'll see you later. Bye.